This episode of How To Wrestling was requested by Marco, one of our lovely backers over at patreon.com forward slash how to wrestling, where you can get access to over a hundred hours of bonus episodic content, everything from pay-per-view reviews from 2015 all the way to our new pay-per-view classic series, the The Big Show Show, and our How To Revisited show. There's also video Q&A episodes available with Joe for $10 backers. And this episode is brought to you by the Let's Go To War podcast. All the way from the land down under come NATO, Henry and Ryan, three young lads from Australia who came to wrestling long after the Monday Night Wars was done and dusted. But here they are, 25 years to the day, covering both the WCW and the WWE's offerings during the period from 1995 all the way to 2001. They do their episodes in tandem, so you get to see the WCW offering and the WWE offering through eyes that have not witnessed it in full before and three new podcasters would be more than delighted to have your ears on their amazing show check out let's go to war the show is available wherever you get your podcasts spotify stitcher apple podcasts you name it recent offerings and these have been an absolute trip to check out survivor series 1995 teamed up with the legendary halloween havoc 1995 some of the original in your houses like the great white north triple header and of course the most memorable fall brawl 1995 these have been an absolute blast for me to check out it's a period of time that admittedly i'm not very familiar with so hearing folks who've never experienced it before like myself it's an absolute trip but hey for now let's get settled in it's time to knuckle up get into your zone get out of my way it's time for how to ken shamrock friends and welcome to another episode of how to wrestling the world's first podcast detailing how to wrestling how to get into wrestling how to understand wrestling and goodness knows maybe even how to enjoy wrestling and please prepare yourselves to both knuckle up and enter into your relevant zone because we're learning today all about the world's most dangerous man and a man who i'm going to endeavor today to let joe know why me and the half the population of teenage boys in the late 90s were obsessed with this man I'm joined by the world's most dangerous podcaster, Joe Graham. Hello. Are you in your zone, Joe? <laughs> I'm in the zone. I'm in the podcasting zone. Are we right to say that Kevin being slightly worried ahead of time about making sure that you like Ken Shamrock was with, with, with some reason, right? Well, I like to think that, you know, you care about this podcast being, you know, entertaining uh okay yeah i yeah. do put it in the entertainment category on soundcloud i'll have you know a bold move a bold move <laughs> there's no education category guys this is what's happened i think it's a good thing yeah because i know you struggled with taz and even brock lesnar who's like you know big bad final boss of wrestling and like, had the benefit of i think when we did that episode he was in the middle of probably one of his best runs yeah. since like 2015 or whenever we did that episode and even he you know even though i liked him as a wrestler i didn't really come out of that episode thinking very highly of him yeah i think a recent episode from similar tough guy who all the boys like i think i struggled on taz yeah um, and i'm just so you know i still think it was a fun episode yeah, yeah. i'm not saying i don't like the episode but I'd be lying if I was able to convey to you 
or even myself, it seems, why I liked Taz when I was a youngster. I think, I mean, no, I, I, I get it. I think it was explained very clearly to me. Mm. Like, just because I personally aren't able to relate doesn't mean that people have done, you know, you or, or our fans have done a bad job. I, mm. I totally get it. Taz, he was cool. He was badass. He was scary. He was short. <laughs> like, no, I know you laugh, but like genuinely, like that's a big thing. Thank you so much for putting short right at the end there. <laughs> Real great moniker. Thanks. I know Taz probably hates that fact, but like genuinely his fans love that. That's important. You to understood them. it at least. Yeah. And I've never been a short man, so I can't relate to that, but I'm sure having a you know if you are a, a man who is short having a role model like taz is empowering as fuck i'm sure so i think there is this maybe idea that i've developed in my head that quote unquote tough guy episodes might might be a bit of a struggle but i think we have had some success in the past here notable exceptions to the tough guys rule include probably the big boss man who i know you got on well with <laughs> and the sad man problematic as they are in their yeah. own unique ways but none of them are angry yelling man which is like something i take massive umbrage with like i just don't find that interesting as a personality trait like if you are white guy video game protagonist as we established in the last episode yeah. Ken very much is he's literally what the doom guy is that that the face that gets slowly beaten up more and more and more angry god yeah he's, he's like a combination of the doom guy every protagonist from the extended gears of war universe yeah. and i'm including the novelizations in there as well folks <laughs> and yeah pretty much ken shamrock does really seem like the type of character for a multiplayer game you download off a silver can of energy drink. Yeah, like 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 you're saying how it's, he's your brother's favorite wrestler. He's the type of wrestler I am. And imagine. I have an older brother as well. Yeah. Older brother very is very specific. specific. Yeah. Because I was going to say he's exactly the type of video game character where if you were playing a fighting game or a wrestling game the older brother of the person who you are friends with would inevitably pick that character and then beat you all to fuck and then be like, right, I've had my fun. Time to play with me and my friends. So tell me now then, because we actually came across Ken. You know, he's one of the wrestlers who I think he's not shown up very often in previous episodes. Yeah. But over on our Patreon page to help deal with the fact that lockdown pay-per-views are at best covered in asterisks we, we've been doing <laughs> sorry i think i said covered in ass covered which in is ass absolutely accurate <laughs> yeah covered in ass if you say my pay-per-view's covered in ass you'll never have the pleasure of watching my ass pay-per-view again but no uh, we, we've been doing pay-per-view classic where you've been sending briefs for shows that you want to watch from the past we put it to our backers and patron they vote and then we watch the episodes we've had a lot of fun ken did appear on the 1998 Survivor Series episode, which we did very recently, the Deadly Game Tournament. And I was kind of like, oh, I don't read too much into him. This, I was not confident that that was going to be your first go-round with Ken, him in the middle of a tournament, not as like a tippity-top guy. And against The Rock as well, <laughs> who I do not like. <laughs> so what was Ken, the first impression then with, with well, Ken Shamrock? Well, that wasn't my first impression though, was it? Because oh, no. Because we figured it out that my first impression of Ken Shamrock, I went back and I searched through all my episode notes. Oh. And the earliest and only instance of Ken showing up on the main timeline episodes was our very, very, very early episode on Stone Cold Steve Austin. Gee, that's like episode two or three, it isn't is, it? Yeah. Jesus. We, we did a match with Stone Cold versus Bret Hart, and Ken Shamrock was the referee. Oh, yeah. And the only reason I remember this <laughs> is in my notes, I very accurately described Ken Shamrock at the time as looking like a toy. A toy? With the top, the referee top, painted on. Yeah. <laughs> 
And we actually watched that back just to like jog my memory of like what my first impression mm. would have been. And I, I could not, I could not get over how silly he looks. He's so silly. He's so, so ridiculously silly. He looks like, I can't remember if I actually posted any pictures of this, but Adam and Alice about a year ago, in fact, I think it was a year ago, mm-hmm. they gave me a little Roman Reigns stretch doll. Or nice pictures that we were, were posting recently. I'm wearing a shirt and everything. I'm pretty sure in your dungarees, you've, you've put Roman in yep, there. And there's a few Roman. of you and me like kind of holding him like he's our boy. Yeah, he's our boy. <laughs> but he's, he's a thick, stretch Armstrong Roman yeah. Reigns. He's really thick. He's like made of like rubber and cornflour. And he's like got huge muscles. And he just looks so silly. And he like barely moves. And Ken Shamrock in that match where he's the referee literally looks like that Roman figurine toy. Like the way he moves is like he hasn't got any articulation. He just kind of wobbles from side to side. So he, he's too buff for his own good. He's like too right. heavy. Because I was you were saying you've used the word silly over and over he again. He is silly. And let's then be you've honest. compared him to a child's toy. So yeah. I think people at home should know that you're talking about his musculature, right? The fact that he's so large yeah as opposed to what i say he's silly like he's wearing like a silly hat or something oh, no, like he that no I, mean, I was gonna say he doesn't look silly but he does look silly he's so muscular he's so ridiculous and i i realize i'm saying this you know this is 2020 every fucking wrestler is like ripped to the eyeballs like, oh yeah you, even their tongues have six packs at this point <laughs> in wrestling history like it's ridiculous but even still, Ken Shamrock is absolutely loaded with beef. So, question then up front, Ken Shamrock, physically, I know we're going to get into his character and all that, mm. but the sight of him, he's very, very large, but not a very vascular man, no. which I know with John Cena, Scott Steiner, a lot of the wrestlers who are very, like, tacked on, beefy mass, you've been quite like, Ugh, just because you don't like seeing, you know, John Cena going, Argh! and then the veins appearing on his eyeballs. I'll be honest, when I see people like that, I worry for their heart health. Yeah. Because, like, just when you've got that much muscle mass, like, I I, know, I just get worried. I just get worried. I, I'm an anxious person. <laughs> it's weird. I don't get worried by your muscle. I get worried by the blood supply for that muscle. Yeah, me if too. anything, we should be more worried about the people who've not got the blood supply, Joe. <laughs> Ken Shamrock definitely a very unique looking individual. Well, he is and he isn't. He's unique for the time of wrestling that yeah. he was in. Um, so, like as we were saying, like he was a wrestler around the same time as like what, Stone Cold and a little bit about Bret Hart and Shawn Michaelsy kind of time. We are dealing with the wrestler, and even though we'll talk about before and after, but we are dealing with the wrestler, and this is probably one of the first times on this podcast where we're dealing with someone from the past. But they're still wrestling to this day. Yeah. But the real kind of focus of their career, I mean, Ken Shamrock was in the World Wrestling Federation for around two and a half, maybe three years. Really? That's he, it. he was wrestling for around ten years beforehand, and he, you know, was wrestling and fighting all his life before and afterwards. But most people's memories and most of Ken's mainstream attention is kind of a narrow period. What probably is one of the most shocking things is that Ken still to this day, age fifty-six, and he's wrestling in impact and he's you know, doing stuff around the world, still looks pretty much the same? I mean, he... Mm, I don't want to say he looks the same, because, I mean, he doesn't look the same. That's a lie. I mean, you can tell he's the same man. Yeah. But, like, he... He don't look 56, Joe. Oh, no, he doesn't look 56. He looks fantastic. Like, I... I would be worried if he had looked the same, because that was too much muscle for a man... His, who is his age now like yeah. as i said i worry about heart health you can't keep up that muscle mass long term okay and end up like i don't know yeah fit and healthy and spry on your feet the way that i'm sure ken is and so ken just looks like 
I don't know, like a piece of really hot jerky. <laughs> like um, sexy jerky. Like he's kind of like, he's refined himself down to the essential bits that right, he needs. Right, yeah, yeah. Um, Rocky three, Ken Shamrock. Yeah. <laughs> like, I don't get the feeling looking at him the way I get the feeling looking at some other people, like Triple H. Like yeah, you think of the Saudi body is what you're telling yeah, me. Yeah, <laughs> the kind of like, oh, I've got to put on loads of muscle for the sake of like charging people more money to see me at live shows because I can take up more of their their vision you know because i'm just physically bigger yeah ken's more like well I, I need to be really good at cardio and i need to be really good shape so that i can like dance around the ring yeah like, yeah be fast obviously he he looks very unique from the, the period of wrestling that he's in mm. it this period that we're covering which is like what 19 late 1990s yeah but like i was thinking every time i saw him he reminded me of a modern day wrestler in that he's got those abs he's got the big shoulders he's got the thighs it's not like you know, some wrestlers from that era were all about the upper body business. Yes, Rick Rude famously, Rick Rude, yeah. with his small legs, would tell everyone that it was an upper body business. <laughs> and he would just sculpt his body with relation to yeah. what the fans expected to see. I mean, we looked at wrestlers like Jake Roberts, Mankind, Kevin Owens. You know, wrestlers who the body's less of a, an issue, so to speak. Yeah, whereas Ken obviously takes his physique incredibly seriously. Like, he has a perfectly sculpted body. like. But you never get the sense coming out that Ken Shamrock is this like glamorous no, hunk, no, right? No, they seem... When you look at him, like when I first saw him, I thought they were all kind of glamour muscles. I thought, ah, okay, so he, he obviously spends a lot of time working out in front of the mirror to make sure all his muscles are even and stuff and look nice. Because they like, do. Triple H was like, as soon as I get in this, oh no, my legs are falling <laughs> off. <laughs> I need more crude oil. <laughs> I just think that he, he looks like he puts a lot of time into making his physique look good, but it's it's obviously not that. It's that he just he t- puts a lot of care into like making his body work at like optimum resource. Well, or whatever, you're, you're, you're right because he's got I'd like a Drew McIntyre body. He's got like current day wrestlers. They have so much help, I feel, with regards from, like, doctors, physical trainers, physical therapists. They have like, amazing places to yeah. train, like the performance yeah. centre, yeah. So they can make their bodies god tier in terms of, like, looking amazing, acting amazing, like, feeling amazing, capable of doing anything. And Ken comes across like that. Mm. It was just like, I can't think of anyone from his era... Who comes across like that? Well, I think what's very interesting about it is that, you know, form and function and all that. Bauhaus. <laughs> but he, it's totally like that with, with Ken because, you know, his background is in mixed martial arts. He's a pioneer in the Ultimate Fighting Championship, UFC. He has involvement in kind of shoot fighting hybrid with professional wrestling and things like Pancrase over in Japan. He's a long history of that. So you wouldn't be somebody comparing him to, say, a, a, a wrestler in his 50s who's probably trying to capture the glory years of the 90s for a, for a special once-a-year show. But Ken, it has to be functional because he was always training to fight or at least training to at least prepare to be in a fight or look like yeah. he was going to be in a fight and I'm even though he does look over the top in many respects well he does but he doesn't like it's not like it's not like he's piling on muscles unnecessarily his arms don't go all the way down sometimes though <laughs> but that just true. makes his shooting fight stance more easy to do with I his arms in the air honestly just thought that was his natural pot like i thought that was so angry inside that he can't put his arms down like it's just there's just anger underneath his armpits and he can't wait a minute angry yeah that's our secret word of the day we talked about ken's i mean he, he strikes you physically when you first see him yeah. that, that very much is true and I don't think you saw it way back when we did him as a special referee in that <laughs> Brett Austin match I don't think you saw that shit in that <laughs> yeah. 
But we saw maybe a little bit in the Survivor Series, but we watched a lot of kind of extra viewing around the uh, around the matches we watched here today, just in lack of any kind of documentary or formal recognition from WWE about Ken's career. But the anger, the personality, and the character. Obviously, it's something that you can kind of go, eh, shrug, he's just an angry guy. And yeah, that is the thrust of it. <laughs> <laughs> but was there more to it than Ken? Is it, what, How would you describe the character of Ken Shamrock, the, the wrestling character? Ugh, he's an angry man. <laughs> <laughs> he's a man who comes out and he's kind of angry. And he goes... <laughs> And then he fights and then someone does something to him that makes him angrier. And then it's kind of like hulks up. He goes into the Hulk zone. And then he, or he does the Kurt Angle take off the singlets like thing. It's his own little power up move. Where he goes, "Ah," and he screams lots and he might punch himself in the head. How's that to watch as a viewer? Like, was he like, because I remember as a kid and I was chatting with my brother a little bit about this week, just kind of trying to, hone in on like why why did he why was he your guy you know because like mankind was my guy and i kind of feel like as a it young it makes so much sense. It doesn't it, right? met both of you it makes perfect sense that you were mankind and he was ken shamrock all right we well, just compare it doesn't necessarily not be unfair here comparing the two man boys i'm the younger sibling yeah. i did speech and drama i loved karaoke and i ran around breaking things in antique stores i was a hyperactive little boy you even look a bit like mick foley a, a little bit like you know and i was more than happy that there was a man on screen getting running around breaking things and playing with a sock puppet yeah. my brother on the other hand you know uh, one of his crowning moments when he was 13 or 14 years old was getting a nightstick from his friend who went to spain uh, he, he was he liked Deftones, tones he liked manic street preachers and smashing pumpkins and he also he he was the older brother in the 90s so obviously a lot of that big boy media appeals to him he loved the boss man he loved ken shamrock he loved he loved the the, the superheroes of the day and whatnot so you know it was very easy to see how wwf could get its hooks into you at that age because i'm like hey there's a guy here with a fucking sock puppet and my brother's like there's a guy here screaming ripping off ankles yeah I mean, a lot of young boys like that. Yes, definitely. And 100% I, in the 90s. I can see in hindsight, like there were certain boys I found very annoying in school who I think, like in hindsight now, I realise we're, we're, we're acting like Ken Shamrock. And not just Ken. I mean, it's, it's the no, whole attitude of the nah, 90s, but encompassed nah, quite a lot in Ken there. I mean, I mean Ken Shamrock. You mean specifically? I mean, yeah, I remember boys literally going... <laughs> and hitting themselves in the head running around yeah. the playground where is she where is she <laughs> <laughs> Inter- interesting that I think we'll talk a little bit about Ken's upbringing and his background because that character and what he is it's not just a simple case of going hey you should just be angry and all that there is a case here with Ken Shamrock, because he's a character who came into mainstream wrestling around the time Vince Russo was a writer, there was a lot of kind of, let's look into your real life, let's turn the dial up on some of this stuff. Now, we'll reveal later how it is that Joe found this out, because it's very fucking surprising. I've been really, really fortunate in that a lot of amazing people have reached out to help out with some of the kind of fill-in-the-blanks with Ken's background, got some experts from his biography that was released recently, a lot of great interviews that he's done. But his growing up and his background 
broad strokes, what did you pick up and what was your reaction to the childhood of the man who would be known as Ken Shamrock? He's quite vague about his childhood, Mm. which I can only assume means it was horrible and full of trauma, the way that most wrestlers who don't speak about their childhood inevitably had a childhood full of trauma and horrid stuff. I know he was like, he says his parents didn't care where he was. Which could mean a few things. I mean, mm. it could mean that they, uh, I don't know, were involved in crimes or they could be drug addicts or alcoholics or just like, you know, have their own mental illnesses that meant they weren't capable of caring about where their children were. Either way, he was kind of passively neglected and yeah. left to his own devices. So he kind of like would, he was involved in crimes from a really young age. Like he said he like robbed it wasn't a bank, was it? He was, he'd like been involved in like 10 robberies or something by a the time. A string of robberies and burglaries yeah. and all that. By the time he was 10. Yeah, and the reason he was found out, you know, that he was accomplice in all these crimes or he committed all these burglaries is because at age 10, Ken Shamrock, when he was a boy, was stabbed. So scary. And that was the only reason why he got, why this was all caught and caught up to him was because yeah. when he was stabbed, he was taken to hospital, obviously. They took his prints and they found him in all these crime scenes and oh all that. Oh my God. Now, I, you know... <laughs> We wouldn't usually talk about people's backgrounds and upbringing. We don't want to spend like hours talking about Steve Austin trying to do football and stuff like that. But I feel when it incorporates elements that's then used into their character or influence yeah. their character. We talked about it with Jake. Jake Roberts, obviously, his upbringing is very different in that he had family that was trying to pull him in lots of different directions. There was a very weird sense of ownership with step-parents and all that. Yeah. But Ken Shamrock, you're just kind of being left to his own devices. When I was watching Attitude growing up, like me and my brother used to kind of like we we knew Austin real, right? Yeah. And, you know, even though I'd start crying if Steve Austin was going to lose the match, which meant that Vince McMahon and Shane McMahon could have any stipulations for the ladder match at King of the Ring. Any? It's ridiculous. <laughs> and Austin has to be blindfolded and boss man's got 2020 vision. <laughs> but even then, when Jim Ross would go, Ken Shamrock, the look of the Irish smile on him, he knows to fight because. You know, he lived up, growing up on the streets, he lived in a car. We would kind of go, yeah, yeah. Like, we, we thought that was a joke. Yeah, because in wrestling, so much stuff like that is made up. Like, that's that's the the benefit and the downside mm. to wrestling is that you, you so often hear stuff that's like, oh, that's cool. And you find out, oh, no, it's just, that's kayfabe. And then you hear other stuff, and you're like, oh, that's cool. That's probably kayfabe then. It's like, no, that was actually real. Yeah. But because we're so... We're so weird about telling you what is real and what isn't real. You'll just have to decide for yourself. Yeah, it's very strange when the kind of the, the knowledge and the ignorance graph kind of yeah. overlaps right there. But yeah, Ken, you know, age five, his biological father just abandoned the family, essentially. And then his mother moved with her new partner to California. And that's when it was just kind of they were never arranged. They didn't look after the kids. The kids were just left to their own devices. There was a couple of, you know, he had brothers, but they weren't all different places all around And Ken, having been involved in so many crimes from such a young age, you know, he said he kept being sent from foster home to foster home. Mm. Very strange how he phrased his placements in foster homes in that he said that he failed them. Oh, I thought that was really sad. And I didn't quite, I'm not very familiar with the fostering system in the US. I have a little knowledge of it here in the UK. Well, I get. I think I get what he's trying to say, which is that he, he didn't maybe try as hard as he could have. But I, I really hate the idea of like a child failing a, a, an institution or a system. Like that's not how these things work. You're you view, a child. You, how do you view you've 
but yeah. you fucked it up like I'm, so, I'm sorry children shouldn't be capable of failing anything it's just they their existence is a success as far as i'm concerned so i think that's sad that he sees it that way i think i think the institutions failed him to be honest but if he wants to see it that way if that makes it easier for him to deal with then and he, fine he was given kind of a last chance so to speak it was essentially he was going to be in what he calls child's prison yeah. you know high-end juvenile hall in california and he was sent to a guy called Bob Shamrock, who ran a boy's home. It really made me think of Terry Funk Sr. You it know, ranch. <laughs> it just, well, in the sense that the way Shamrock tells it, it's like it was a little bit outside the ordinary. It was this very big, old house, mm. this beautiful old Californian house. And they would have to look after the house. They would give him responsibility for it. And you know, Ken would say that you know, it wasn't an institution. And therefore... Bob, who ran it, was always running up against issues with the state, the city, the the, the child services people because, you know, it didn't meet regulations. Yeah, he and, mentions you know. things like they had these lovely exposed beam ceilings and apparently the, um, I don't know, the, the institutions wanted to them to cover that up to give it a flat ceiling so that they couldn't use them as like, I don't know, to hang themselves with, I guess, or something. Like, there's all these lovely little features of a home. And that they ripped down the doors, put yeah. in the doors with the locks on them. Yeah, yeah, the fireproof doors and everything. And okay, yes, I get why these institutions want to do that because it's providing safety. But as Ken was pointing out, that that takes away a sense of home. I and think. pride, I think. Yeah. yeah. Now, Ken says that Bob Shamrock... And I think the surname there immediately, you know, when I was finding out about this, I was like, oh, okay, this is starting to make sense. Yeah. <laughs> Bob Shamrock actually adopted Ken to be his legal son and Aww. Ken took his name. Ken credits Bob with doing one thing, which was taking someone who was riddled with anger problems, abandonment issues, and putting him in front of one thing that Ken says saved his life, which was sports. Yeah. I think it's over it can't be overstated how effective a simple thing angry kid play sport yeah yeah i know it seems crude but like when i was a teacher it 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 was the one thing and i never liked sports when i was no. in school but when i would see kids like benefit from sports and i it realized as a teacher that i never did as a student how useful it is yeah. ken shamrock in sports were you surprised that he had the real life anger issues that he had as a child no not really because i didn't really know what to expect with him i had mm. no i i had no preconceptions going into this episode as to what he was like i was shocked personally from having seen him as a kid like how much of the the backstory was was real yeah you know as in you know ken shamrock is put out as a youngster is like right you're gonna do sports when he was training to do sports in his senior year and doing football he broke his neck yeah, in, in his own words, it's like, it took a long time for me to realize that when the referee blows a whistle, you must stop. I did not realize this. <laughs> Fucking hell. Bro breaking your neck? I know. So there is an asterisk to go with the sports thing there. So moving on, Ken, another thing I was shocked to find out about was that you know, he's often talked about that he was a guy who was doing mixed martial arts and MMA and then he got into wrestling, but it actually was the other way around. He got oh. into professional wrestling in the late 80s. Oh, okay. So late 80s, he starts training. He thinks, you know, wrestling's going to be a future for me. He starts getting involved in it. Pretty soon after that, he heads over to Japan, which is where the kind of intense style, you know, the strong style we talked about in our Shinsuke Nakamura episode... Would it surprise you to hear that Ken was involved with Minoru Suzuki? Do you remember that name from a I previous do. episode? Yes. 
Although, previous episode, what episode did he come up in? I think we talked about him. He wrestled AJ Styles on our... Oh, yeah. In our incredibly messed up AJ Styles episode. Loving our Suzuki. Very scary man. I was surprised that he had a link with Minoru Suzuki, mm. but I wasn't surprised to learn that he had a link to Enochiism. Oh, sorry, I didn't know this. Tell well, me, tell me. I only gathered this from the bits that we... I, I might be getting this totally wrong, mm. but there was that company you mentioned... Pancreas Station? Pancreas, Joe. Pancreas? <laughs> it's either Pancreas, London St. Pancreas, or Pancreas. Right. Either way, there's a lot of fighting, there's a lot of insulin. And it's in Japan. Yes. And the whole idea of that company was to combine like kayfabe wrestling with real fighting and you're right because we've had articles done about enochism on, on the exactly, website yeah. and we talked a little bit about it on some of our episodes about japanese wrestlers yeah so antonio Inoki, and i apologize if i get any of this wrong i've only read like one thing about this and um my memory isn't great but he was a he was a professional wrestler with mm -hmm. a background in mixed martial arts and he kind of coined this new style of wrestling that Vince McMahon is obviously then a big fan of, which is like this kind of real fighting style, but yeah. it's actually choreographed. And it's, you know, we're, we're talking about using real life submissions, strikes that seem, you know, logical or, you know, doing things that a fighter might do, incorporating the strikes and the grappling of the submissions from real life wrestling and things like jujitsu, judo, etc., etc. Where Pancraze and it was Minoru Suzuki, Ken Shamrock, and a guy called Finaki. No, not that Finaki, another Finaki. They were kind of frustrated because they wanted to take it almost a little bit further. They wanted to have these like super competitive, realistic fights. And the issue that they were told was that, look, yeah, we want to use things like grapples and strikes and all that, but you still have to have your back and forth. A real fight will never be as exciting for no. the audience as a predetermined fight that has the ups and downs and the ebbs and flows. Absolutely. And if I may just butt in for a moment, because when I was looking through the tweets for this episode, I came across <laughs> one from my first ever UFC match. <laughs> yeah, surprise, surprise you. Joe's not going to be talking about her love of the UFC, I'm no. assuming. I just thought I'd get this out there now. Yes, I've watched some UFC. I thought it was dreadfully boring. I hate how dangerous it is. It's like, takes all of the bits from wrestling I hate the most, which is like the boring, dull, dangerous bits. And it's just that. I have watched five ufc matches in total yeah. i didn't see there wasn't any drama all the attacks that like actually ended up knocking people out honestly looked like fucking play fighting it looked so weak as shit oh my god and, and i know that's the scary thing because like it's, it's genuinely really dangerous and really scary and stuff yeah. but like it to me because i am used to pro wrestling and play fighting I expect the over-the-top yeah. style. And also, Wrestling's I, not prepared you yeah. for UFC. And I don't, honestly, I don't want to see people actually get hurt. That frightens me. Well, what happened then with Suzuki and Shamrock, I believe they had a match together and they're like, let's fight for real. Right. And there were a few people like that who were, you know, they started doing some matches that essentially they were like, let's go in and let's properly go. Let's, you know, let's go grapple, let's strike, give me what you got, you know. <laughs> some people might be like, I'm not going to try and hurt you, you know, but let's give each other what we got. Yeah. And the reactions that they were getting from the crowd were like incredible. People thought it was nail-biting stuff. It seemed real. They were trying to tear each other apart. And again, it's it's a fine line, isn't yeah. it? Because it's all right. You're showing that, that is, that's exciting and that works. And but that's not to say that the original idea doesn't have merit. I think you know we're talking about something that's happening in 1991, 1992 here. It's certainly been refined a lot more. You watch, you know, a WWE or AEW or a New Japan show now, you're seeing much more, particularly in Japan, a synthesized style of the real and the not. But it's yeah. definitely all predetermined. Yeah. 
So Pancrase's rules, depending on who you ask, were that some, usually four out of the five matches on the card, were legitimate. One of the fights would have predetermined elements in it, and it was presented like a shoot-fighting sport. Okay, and so what was the result predetermined, or just some of the parts of the match? I've struggled to really find out about this, and this is a recurring thing that happens with Ken. And I think one of the reasons it happens with Ken so much is because he was involved in wrestling, and then something that was neither feast nor foul, not wrestling, not MMA, and then it's like, let's find the UFC, also now let's go back to wrestling, let's go back to UFC and MMA. And his use of UFC stuff in wrestling... Amazing, but his attempts to use wrestling stuff in UFC mm. and you know, the worked fights and all that, it's a fucking mirage and a smokescreen trying to figure out what actually is the God's honest truth. Right. <laughs> My own personal opinion is I think four out of the five matches being entirely shoot is a little bit generous. Yeah. And there are several matches where people are like, all right, Ken, that one was a work, though. And he's like, no, 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 no. Were the ones where he won by any chance? <laughs> there are ones where it was kind of... The, the nature of the match made it seem like that they were definitely trying to legitimately grapple each other, but they were also not trying to not finish the match. That's the thing, because, like... <sighs> That's predetermined, though, in my estimation. If you're saying, I'm not going to hit you in the face or I'm not going to try and knock you out... That's predetermined. Well, is it though? Because like, <laughs> I feel that could just be specific rules of a fighting match. Yeah. Because like you could have like what like jujitsu. I think you're not allowed to hit each other in the face. You're not allowed to do like certain knockouts and things. Like the difference between like MMA and wrestling is that the end outcome is determined. Yeah. Like okay, wrestling sometimes the moves are choreographed, and sometimes they're not. They're improvised. But the outcome is always predetermined. Yeah. Whereas in MMA, it should never be. Yeah, that's true. And I think Pancrase, though, is a fascinating thing to look at. What, what genre would you even call that? It's It's got to be closer, though, to the things like street fighting and like Pride and, and, the, and early UFC particularly. Right. And just that you have this real Wild West sense. And I've only watched a few clips, folks, and I've tried to you know, listen to some podcasts. We'll put some further viewing and recommended listening from other stuff further down here for sure for you to check out if you're interested so it's kind of like it, it's like those early ufc events in that you've got people of very very different styles body shapes you'd have some kind of big dudes in there who are all power you would have people who are like you know karate folks and all that you know dressed up in their gi or jujitsu or judo guys you have people like ken who are kind of a, a bit of a hybrid athlete so it's exciting in that sense and i think if you're going to have something where it's a bit like in MMA right now, um, the standard is is that most people wouldn't be like, "Hey, I'm Mr. Karate." That if you do that in UFC, you'll die. Yeah, you, know, you have to have a bit of everything. a few things, yeah. maybe a bit of everything, a couple of specialisms. Whereas back here, it's a little bit more like Street Fighter. Like this is the Jiu Jitsu man from Brazil, and this is the fucking you know the this is the judo guy from Japan, and yeah. they have very different, unique styles and looks, and very I, you know. I really like that idea. Yeah, it's like it's like a fine game. I think that's yeah. cool. But because, like that's the thing with like MMA and wrestling, like how they're kind of at odds. Because like with wrestling, you want to sell your pain, you want to like, communicate that to your audience. <laughs> Whereas with MMA, you don't want to share that with anyone. You want to yeah. lock that away. And Ken carried that through him with him in most of his career. <laughs> Talk about that when we get into some of the matches. Not just him either. To be fair, yeah. like. Brock has struggled with that. Yeah, I, I don't know many MMA guys, but I'm sure they all have that problem. So Ken found himself in 1993 with this kind of 
very impressive resume and the fact that he was uh, someone involved in wrestling and involved in this MMA and the shoot fighting stuff you know all this as well as to a background of Ken in his early 20s you know in his early younger years when he was you know running Bob Shamrock's care you know he was running the home for children he was doing all these things he was going to college at the same time there are stories where Ken would be like, uh-oh, i got to make rent today. So he wakes up and he rings up his friend going, any fights going on? He's like, yeah, there's a fight down here. Pot's like four grand if you want to come down. He's like, cool. You know, pop on a hoodie, walk down, be involved in the legal bare-knuckle boxing street so fight. literally Rocky. Pretty much. He's like, got the money, got to go back. You know, I, I, you say Rocky, I'm going to go Kazuma Kiru because it's the protagonist from Yakuza, Joe. Oh, okay. Be- because he also runs a, 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 an orphanage, a home for wayward people, and he has to go and fight and then come back and look after them what tattoo would ken shamrock have? his own face going <laughs> for sure here's the funniest thing i could find out about ken going into ufc and again ken's i feel like we're saying a lot of stuff here now where it's like don't listen to him he's an idiot or anything like that i don't i'm not trying to make out that you shouldn't trust ken or that he's full of shit or anything like that but I think it's very understandable how someone who's going between very legitimate world and a very, you know, non-legitimate world, wrestling and MMA, and then trying to kind of steer his ship logically through them. And also, like, keep both sides happy, because, like, these are two industries who have, like, their own terminology, their own rules, their mm. own kayfabe. And their own fans who hate yeah. the other side a lot. And God forbid you say anything that will expose either industry to the truth. Yeah, right. You will really make enemies. So I think he's, he's walking a political tightrope. So the first ever Ultimate Fighting Championship, which Ken Shamrock was brought into, he sails through the first round, no problems whatsoever. Compared to a lot of the other competitors there, Shamrock is viewed as being probably the most physically imposing specimen. He's the only guy who's like completely ripped to shreds muscle man he seems like an easy victor in it just from looks alone i'd love to actually see a picture of him when he was young looks pretty much exactly this we, you know those you know, i showed you that kind of compilation set to that wild heavy metal dark guitar oh, yeah that was mostly ken in his, his younger years oh, okay yeah still very much similar body shape and all that he falls to a, a gentleman called royce gracie who is a very very influential name kind of like the godfather of a a grandfather of a whole style of, of MMA. And because Royce Gracie was an unimposing looking lad who kind of looks like, you know, he's in the Karate Kid with his, you know, white gi and all that. Shamrock claims that he didn't take him very seriously. And as a result, Gracie, who was a jiu-jitsu master, managed to eke out a victory. Ken claims... <laughs> let's sell that serious stuff first because it sounds really silly. Ken claims the reason he didn't win the first Ultimate Fighting Championship is because he wasn't really sure when he went into it, even when he was fighting it, whether or not it was fixed or not, whether or not he had to kind of kayfabe a little bit, make the other guys look good and put on a bit of a show. Yeah. He didn't realise it was like an Ultimate Fighting Championship. He thought it was more like a penultimate fighting championship, I guess. Right, okay. You'd have to know, Joe. Would you, though? I don't know. No, genuinely, I don't fucking know. I don't know. I feel I would feel really bad being like, yeah, he should fucking know. When everything I know about these industries is we don't tell anyone. Yeah. We keep it secret. You're supposed to just magically know these things. Well, in America, when UFC is hitting the airways in the early 90s, it does not go down very, very well. I think we've mentioned it before. He's now passed away, but John McCain from Arizona 
once famously compared Ultimate Fighting Championship to human cockfighting around this time and was successful in getting some of their pay-per-view broadcasts shut down later on. Now, Shamrock was considered to be one of the godfathers there because, or one of the pioneers because he was one of the first people there. He had a lot of issues with them early on. You know, he had his rematch with Royce Gracie. It went to a decision. And he comes in later for another Ultimate Fighting Championship against someone who, while Ken was back in Japan, picked up a championship, which was... Dan the Beast Severn. And Dan Severn is someone who I've got a very big soft spot for, Joe. And we saw a couple of times throughout our watching. How would you describe Dan for the folks at home? He's that... Oh, what's his name? That that handsome man. That handsome man. The one with the moustache. Me? Circa July? Yes, Yes, you. me. No, the other guy from the 80s. The one who looks Tom like Dan... Tom Selleck? Sever. Yes, him. Oh, we watched Three Men and a Baby recently. Yeah. Sorry, Three Men and a Baby with Dan Severn, Ken Shamrock and the Lethal Weapon, and the lethal weapon Steve Blackman. Someone better book that or I will. <laughs> and the baby's like Stephanie McMahon. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's... um. He's a stone cold hunk. Oh really? Oh come on! Talk to me about the stone cold hunkness of Dan the Beast Ever. What is it? Is it the grey t-shirt, Joe? I know you like the colour grey. It's the moustache. Ah. Yeah, he looks like Ned Flanders. <laughs> we all know. I I love a bit of Ned. Is he is he scary? Did he come no. across as scary at all to you? Nope. But I've not seen him in a match, so... That's true. And I also told Joe a couple of incredibly disarming facts about Dan Severn. Yeah, he loves cheesecake. (laughs) Oh, so scary. Ken Shamrock's blood rival who (laughs) hates cheesecake. Now, there's a very cute story about their rivalry. And to say that their rivalry is somewhat petty... I mean, look, they were rivals in the Ultimate Fighting Championship. They tried to pit them against each other in WWF. Dan Severn's a very grown-up, mature fellow who very rarely rose to the bait of any of his opponents over the years very calm professional man just wants to go you know make his money have a good fight that's about it really right which is why you never hear of him anymore big controversy for dan severn and this is why ken sharmock was like blood rage wanted to kill him in their their big fight they were going to have was during the press conference when ken sharmock was talking about how he was training to beat dan severn could you believe the disrespect show? Dan Severn got up and left the press conference in the middle of it. It's like, oh, Dan Severn, the beast, in the house, stirring the pot. Yeah, but little did they know, he just went off to eat a cheesecake. <laughs> so, now, I did tell you the actual reason for this. Yeah, it's actually even better than that. It is the sweetest thing in I the world. I love Dan Severn so much. I, I really relate to this. So he said the reason he left was because Ken Shamrock was going to reveal his technique, his fighting technique. And yeah, how he's been training and all that, training. yeah. And Dan was like, oh, that's kind of spoilerish. I, I shouldn't really be hearing this because it's unfair advantage to me. I'll just give him some space, <laughs> go eat my cheesecake in the corner. And he left him to it. Yes. <laughs> but Ken took that as a slight. Maybe because he thought, like, so what if you know my, my training routine? Like, if you're as good as they say, that shouldn't give you an advantage because... I'm so good. Now, Ken did beat Dan in the UFC. You know, Dan does have a a victory over him at at some point as well. But what was happening around this time was that we're on UFC 5 or 6 at this point. Controversies happening. You've got politicians talking about it, saying they don't want it on pay-per-view anymore. They're succeeding for the most part. Ken Shamrock is showing up in B-movies with Danny Trejo and getting interviewed by Conan O'Brien. He's becoming probably the only real public figure of UFC in terms of like a superstar who's crossing over into the mainstream. Hang on, Ken Shamrock was in movies with Danny Trejo. Oh yeah. 
Oh my god. Yeah, we might have to do another uh, special movie episode yes, for, for for some of that life. But yeah, like he was getting like kind of some people were looking at Ken kind of going, he could be the next Chuck Norris. He could be the next Bruce Lee, just someone who has legitimate fighting background, maybe has a little something on screen, maybe has a little bit of that magic. Mm, he doesn't though have that charisma, does he? What is Ken lacking in the charisma department, Joe? Because the, the screen, the passion, the eyes, I feel that fury, I feel it. I get goosebumps hmm. most times Ken Shamrock screams because I am a lizard. He's not confident. He's not got that confidence, that X factor, the sparkly special source that you see in some people's eyes that makes them a celebrity. So what Chuck Norris has, so obviously the fact that he's like incredibly skilled Chuck's helps. calm. But he's calm, he's cool, he's confident. You, you look at a picture of him and you go, that's a cool guy. Chuck Norris, Bruce Lee, uh, we could go Steven Seagal, Jean-Claude Van Damme. Even like Jackie Chan, like yeah. literally anyone who's like famous fighter, charismatic person has that look in their eye of confidence. Now with Ken, it does work in wrestling eventually. We talked about this in the Attitude Era podcast, how Ken's nerves when he's speaking works to his advantage because it feels like he's like teeming with rage and he's like, I have a match tonight and it's against The Rock. And it's for the King of the Ring. And it's like, oh, he's going to explode. Whereas actually, like, maybe he's just a little bit nervous. And that nerves, the deer in the headlights, it's always there a little bit. Yes, definitely. So while movie producers are lining up to maybe make a bit of a quick book and, hey, Ken, we've got a thousand dollar movie with your name all over it. The main people who are paying attention are wrestling companies. And according to Meltzer, what I was reading at the time, both WCW which was run by Bischoff at the time, and Vince McMahon's WWF had big eyes on Ken Shamrock. And they talk about they talk about it like it's the acquisition, as in whoever gets Ken Shamrock might just win these Monday Night Wars. That's really funny. I I get it because both had were had an eye in Japan. You know, Bischoff obviously had connections in Japan and all that, but it's weird to see how either of those companies think Particularly how WWF was at the time, very PG family friendly, Bret Hart, P, you know, new generation. How the world's most dangerous man fits in there. Yeah, it's an odd one, isn't it? Mm. Especially seeing as what ECW would have been around as well at this yeah. time. And that's kind of like, you know, ECW were kind of doing a bit of the, the real fighting style. They wouldn't be able to match. Ken, I think, is too big a dollar figure, though. No, I realise yeah. that. I'm not saying ECW would have wanted Ken. I'm just saying I'm surprised that WCW and the WWF looked to UFC's talent as opposed to ECW's talent. Mm. Seeing as if you want the kind of more grown-up, real fighting style, like you've got two different options there. One of them is ECW and the other one is Ken Shamrock, who is just one man. I know it's just like putting all your eggs in one basket seems a bit strange. It is interesting because they do, you know, Dan Severn does find himself in the World Wrestling Federation in 1998 as well. You know, Lethal Weapon Steve Blackman, who... You know, obviously, much different type of background, but the same aura of, like, this is a legitimate fighting man also brought in. But I feel that their attempts of a UFC renaissance in the WWF in the late 90s, it didn't come to pass. And they did end up going to ECW instead yeah. to get, you know, edgy CS, but probably more in their wheelhouse of what they actually understand. So, something I was very surprised by that I heard from some of our lovely fans who are helping us out by sending us in tweets and Facebook posts and messages and emails and all that about Ken, was that he's pretty hated in the world of UFC. Oh, really? Yeah. Why? Because in these mid to late 90s period where we are now, after the initial success of, you know, the first couple of UFC events... There were twofold problems. Number one, the UFC themselves were complaining that the style was boring. 
and it wasn't exciting enough for the fans in attendance. As in Ken's style. As in Ken, Royce Gracie, Dan Severn, pretty much all the guys who were there at that moment in time. You know the Ken Shamrock, Dan Severn showdown I was telling you about? Mm -hmm. The fans in the stadium were chanting, let's go Red Wings and boring. Like, it's pretty much given it the same level of joy that Dolph Ziggler and Seth Rollins got. They didn't didn't go, eh, 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 in the middle of it, but they didn't enjoy it. I mean, the Red Wings are awesome, obviously. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's weird, though, because that seems like the type of thing that would happen in wrestling. Like, you're not entertaining enough. The fans are bored. Change what you're doing. Like, how is that a thing that you can do in real fighting? Well, that's it. Dan Severn and Ken Shamrock. Well, what do you want us to do? Like, because Dan Severn's not going to throw a punch. He's going to, you know, take you down, roll around. That's yeah. exactly. And, you know, Dan Severn, by the way, you know, UFC fans, he did that in WWF. Where they're like, Dan, you come into the Royal Rumble. It's like double leg takedown and fucking, you know, putting you in a submission hold. Like, that was his style. He was never going to change that. So, they... <laughs> were viewed some of the people like Ken as being kind of like a little bit like mercenaries in that when you were told to step up for the UFC, you took your balls and you went home. And they brought in people like Tank Abbott, like big heavy hosses who are like, you're going to swing for the fences, you know, big fuckers, street fighters. And the problem was the same. They come in and they start swinging for the fences and then they get really tired and start yeah. hugging each other. So UFC was getting more and more issues because... The original crop of guys went. They said they were too boring. The people who were replacing them were were shit, were shit for lack of a better term. WCW snagged up Tank Abbott, though. They managed to get him on a, onto their roster. This was the groundswell of support for, for UFC at the time. And when he came back then, after his WWE run, and he had a... We'll talk about that in a little, later on. It was viewed very much as like, oh, here comes Mr. Fucking Washed Up coming out to try and get a paycheck. Now that, you know, he left UFC high and dry... And then UFC manages to ride a wave and become successful. And this guy's coming now that the wrestling boom is over and no one wants him. Typical. So there's a lot of fans who think Ken Shamrock's a piece of shit in the UFC world. Despite the fact that he's a Hall of Famer and he's one of your founding fathers. A pillar, as The Rock referred to him in his Hall of Fame speech. It doesn't speak for every UFC fan, but there's some grudges there about him. That's weird. I don't get it. It's kind of dumb, isn't it? It's really dumb, yeah. It's really stupid. I just don't... So what, they resent him for following the money, which he didn't even necessarily do? I mean, he followed, I mean, you could say he argued he followed the passion, you know? Yeah. If he followed the money, I mean, yeah, he went to WWF. But, but... hey, who gives a shit? Like, how, I, I bet those same people fucking love Brock Lesnar. Probably. And he follows the money like a bloodhound follows uh, blood. <laughs> black pudding, Joe, I think. There we go, yeah, black after. pudding, yeah. I mean, I remember the brief period where I watched UFC, it was because of Brock Lesnar. And I was just interested because I felt that it would lead to him coming back to, to wrestling eventually. And I remember watching it with people who used to watch wrestling or are now big UFC fans and they hated it. They hated us. They thought it was like ruining their their precious company as it got bigger and bigger and more and more popular right i don't you know it's it's one of those weird things i think mma fans do have a strange love-hate relationship with their company and their products what i can't relate I as can't. a wrestling fan and just, you know, <laughs> might might be strange as well you can be an mma fan and have issues with their very charismatic very successful but intricately fucked up and terrible leader and ceo <laughs> what's that all about <laughs> So, they signed Ken Shamrock in 1997, and Ken's first job is to be the world's most distracting referee. I had to spend this whole match with my little <laughs> Roman toy, moving him around the way Ken moves around the ring, and it's great because it turns out my little 
solid Roman, stretchy Roman, moves exactly like Ken does. Yeah, even with the poor articulation and yeah. all that. Now, what was particularly interesting about this is, you know, often I'll come up with a list of things I think are supplemental viewing or watching or things that will be good to help us out. You really, really were just like, hey, can we watch that match again? Yeah. And I, I'm not sure, was it because you're on a Steve Austin kick or a Bret Hart kick or was it, why was it you wanted to come back to this match, this famous match? I remember enjoying it the first time around. Mm. And at the time, I didn't know who Bret Hart was. And in fact, I only realised that Bret Hart was significant after we did the episode on Owen Hart. Ah. And then I was like, oh yeah, and he has his brother, who I guess is kind of a big deal. (laughs) Yeah, I hold my hands up. Um, Probably showing you the I Quit match in like our third episode between Steve Austin and Bret Hart. That's very much a case of wrestling legends telling you what's most important and... Not necessarily is it impossible to get the context of that match by just watching it. I I think I did get some of the context. Mm. I I didn't get that Brett was such a big deal. Yeah. Because even though you can kind of see it in his entrance to this match, like he puts the sunglasses on the little kid and it's so adorable and sweet and everything. But it's, I, mm, he, yeah, I didn't realise he was such a big deal. Mm. So I think seeing it again with that context, I'm yeah, I'm glad I did that. But I'm also I'm glad that we did it as one of the episodes of the Steve Austin episode because it's a really good example of showing how two characters can kind of change in the middle of a match. Kind yeah, of. <laughs> kind of. Yeah, I, we've had big issues out in the Adshare podcast where they kind of make out that you know one guy went in as a total face and one guy's a total heel. You know, you watch the you watch the video; it's all about kind of Brett already being on this path so to speak and also it confused me so much because the promo bit before this match is all like brett talking about how vince has screwed him frustrated isn't the goddamn word for it yeah it's, it's all about like being screwed screwed job you screwed me whole world wrestling federation screwed me vince you screwed me most of all i'll never forgive you and it's like hang on so what the montreal screw job has already happened <laughs> Now, what's funny about this is that you know, all the context is that you've got a renewed love of both Brett and Austin, I think, and having watched some of the Attitude Era adjacent stuff for Pay-Per-View Class C, I think it's safe to say you've, you've enjoyed a lot of Austin. Yes. It was very funny when we were doing this episode for Ken and you were literally shouting at the telly going, get out of the way! He's so big! Go! Move! He's so big. He's so distracting. He's wearing such silly clothes. Like, literally, it looks like my Roman figure has his clothes painted on him. And I just, I really want one of Ken with his referee top that's painted on him. He just looks so stupid. And the way he moves isn't like a referee. Like, he, I don't yeah. think he's even seen what a referee does. I kind of, I love it though in a oh, weird yeah, no, I way. I love it. I love it. It's shit, but I love it. Why Why is it work for you then, Ken, the world's most distracting referee? Is this, this his first kind of, you know, pay-per-view appearance? It's just so silly. Like, it would be different if he was actually annoying. But mm. every time I saw him, it filled me with joy and glee because it was so funny. Did it help his character or help the match that this was the world's most dangerous man? Because I think what they were going for, it's like, it's Brent and Austin. No one's going to be able to keep these two in line. And it's a crazy match. So we have to have the world's most dangerous man. Did that kind of come apart that he was like a tough guy that he needed to have in this role no definitely not the first time i watched it i just thought he was a random referee who but, happened to be more muscular than the competitors but joe he's he, as he said himself i am here as to be referee as to be referee yeah <laughs> and even the second time watching this match i didn't really understand why it had to be him because 
they don't really make out as though he's that big and tough in the package beforehand. I think the, the bit which happens afterwards is, you know, after Brett tries to go after Steve and he's all laying in a pool yeah. of his blood and you have the huge big pull away and he throws him to the ground and then Ken goes in the fighting stance. I think that's like a perfect example of one, Ken being ready to go and show you that kind of, ah, I'm here to fight and you weren't seeing a lot of. And also... Bret Hart. It's his reaction to it that's really effective. How gracious is that? Yeah. Hey, I wanted the referee to get a little heat on me as well after I fucking do the... Come on. I, know, I, really, I really liked that. I Honestly, I think it was Bret's reaction that was kind of most effective about that whole thing. It was like the fact that he... You know, Bret Hart, now I realise who he is. I know he's like Bret Hart. The way he immediately looks at Ken when Ken puts his fists up is kind of like respect like okay okay I'll back no, no i'm afraid of you no, it's or all right it's like i can't this i can't deal with this it. now yeah because yeah. <laughs> i've just had that match yeah. and you're obviously very serious indeed ken did struggle in the early days of the world wrestling federation and he was there in 1997 we're talking about you know a company where when we're watching that match with brett and, and austin vince mcmahon is openly apologizing for all the content you're seeing he's apologizing for the blood yeah. he's apologizing for the style he's apologizing for the language he's apologizing for the atmosphere this is not the what we want to present to you in the world wrestling federation gentlemen and we apologize that's at wrestlemania no, shocking isn't it also i have to mention this match here was my first ever match where i saw vince on commentary oh really and i said he sounded like an auctioneer and i was 100 percent correct <laughs> all these years later is he still your favorite commentator mm. Mm, he's definitely up there top yeah. three Oh, interesting. But Top I three. don't think he's my favourite. Interesting, that. Hard to beat Byron Saxton, obviously. <laughs> you just feel sorry for him because he got left at that petrol I station. Do. I do. <laughs> so, the early days of Ken Shamrock. I can't say this was planned properly, but they keep cutting to... I mean, I was watching all, I've watched all these Raws and stuff for, for the ITR podcast. I'm watching a lot of shots in the crowd where it's like Mike Tyson fears Ken Shamrock. And a lot, a lot of talking. Like Ken Shamrock comes out and straight up challenges Mike Tyson who at this point in time is bitten of Andrew Holyfield's ear he's banned from boxing but he's probably the most famous man in the world right. in terms of an athlete so you got Ken Shamrock coming out here and saying you're a coward and I don't like you you're a bully and I'm, I want to fight you and I'm here as to be a fighter for you and you have Ken come out pretty much every week saying I'm challenging Mike Tyson to a fight now they were obviously wanting Tyson in following year at Wrestlemania Mike Tyson was, was there in the main event for a, a referee role could you imagine if we got Mike Tyson and Ken Shamrock in 1997? What a fucking... There's your circus. Jesus Christ. Genuinely don't even know what it would be like, because I don't know really anything about Mike Tyson other than... Isn't he a horrid man? I mean, he's a Hall of Famer, Joe, and Mike Tyson convicted rapist. And, that was uh, it. I knew he'd done something like that. He, all I'll say about Mike Tyson is, you know, I used to be kind of quite interested in the spectacle around his career and whatnot. I find boxers and fighters and things like that very interesting. And I, you know, I watched a lot of documentaries about Tyson, but I mean, the, the man has, has done a lot of very dodgy things in his life that would lead you to think that wrestling companies wouldn't still be opening you know, with open arms embracing him. But ah, this is wrestling, though. It's wrestling. He feels nostalgia and it's Mike Tyson, so it's yeah. mainstream. So he'll always, he'll always be there. Yeah. Ken isn't really screaming yet. He's not angry. He's a nice guy. You know, he's just there to, to be a nice guy. He's, he hates bullies. He doesn't like what's going on. There are complaints, though, Joe, that he's been a little bit stiff in his matches. Some of the wrestlers don't like working with Ken. He's running hard. He's kind of enjoying the wrestling lifestyle, you know, out on the road, partying and all that. And people are like, I don't know. So what would you do if you were Vincent Mann in this case? You've got this ultimate fire. Is Dan Seven with the company at this point? 
just about to be brought in. Steve Blackman is with the company at this point already, though. And either of those two men, have they been accused of being a bit stiff? Um, well, I mean, Steve Blackman has torn up a phone book with his bare hands. That's a phone book, but that's not being stiff to a person. I don't think Dan Severn or Steve Blackman have actually had those those accusations level against him despite the fact that their wrestling style incorporates a lot of yeah. you know, kicks and strikes and or in Dan's cases a lot of submission holes so in that case that's what I would do I would I would have one of them travel on the road with him and like make sure that they're training together and like wrestling each other so that they can go look you're hitting me a bit hard here man I get what you're doing because of our background but this is wrestling we do it a different style now okay counterpoint yeah you know if you have those guys Ken's a little bit hot headed as it pertains to anyone who might be in his or crouching upon his zone so <laughs> what does that mean <laughs> in that like i've watched so many shoot interviews with ken shamrock where he speaks so lowly of dan severn at times in like you know he's like you know they maybe have a match against dan and uh dan was coming out and uh he was going to take his shirt off and uh i heard the referee in his headset being told make sure dan keeps his shirt on because he's soft <laughs> can you believe that he's wrestling me and he's all soft it's ridiculous what does that mean saying that he wasn't in good enough shape you okay. keep your shirt on. This you're, is what in like 1997, when, 98, like, 98. where like abs have basically not even been invented yet. Tell me, cut Stone Cold Steve Austin body okay. chisel. I All mean, right, barely. I mean, but you know, it's it's <laughs> ridiculous. Like the reason why we're going to look at the match we're going to look at here right now is that in 1997 where we're changing from a company that's all Bret Hart sunshine's happiness in the new generation, we're going a little bit towards that attitude era. They decide to put Ken Shamrock in the ring with Big Van Vader. Vader! Vader! Vader, the one that ripped off Mick Foley's ear. Yeah, and in the other match where we saw, uh, where it wasn't an accident, he grabbed his nose and went... He made a much more horrid noise than that. Well, I'm accompanying the close to the microphone, yeah. so I think it'll probably, yeah, you know. I hope so. It's he, he breaks noses, yeah. he's broken backs, he's a stiff man, and also his singlet is smelly as well. Oh, yeah, I forgot about the smelly yeah. singlet that he never washes. So that is the, the free end of the match. When we were, I told you we'd be doing this, the little you know about Vader. How did you think it was going to go for both men? Do you think it was going to be like an effective calm down Ken you know just gonna uh, you know Vader obviously is a, is a guy who they're trying to make him you know feel confident in himself as well I think they're trying to kill two birds at one stone right yeah that kind of makes sense yeah it does seem odd to do it like this especially with these people in this way because Vader yeah even I know Vader is stiff and I don't even know anything about Vader and Ken obviously as you said he was known for being a bit stiff so maybe the idea was that they were kind of like both be stiff to each other and balance each other out but i don't really see that doesn't really make sense to me because no as as what from what little i know about people being stiff if you just continue to be stiff to someone who is stiff they will probably be extra stiff to say oi stop being so stiff yeah and i think (laughs) what vader's reason for his stiffness is always like it's kind of like what steve austin's mentality was times a million to the to the nth degree which is, I'm going to hit you hard because I want you to hit me hard back. Yeah. You know, I'm big, I'm strong, this is what's happening. You're going to, It's going to be laid in and I expect you to do the same back to me. Yeah. Because if I'm going to bump for you and I'm going to go off my feet and, you know, people like Vader who view, like, a bump as being, like, uh, not an attack on their character, but it's like, you got to justify it. Like, I'm not yeah. leaving my feet for you unless you're, yeah. you're going to hit me. You're going to make it look good. 
And I understand that. And, you know, Vader, even though Mick Foley, he broke his nose, he damn near broke his back. You know, that, remember that time where he was on his, his shoulders and he just went completely back like that onto the metal? Oh. Did that to Mick Foley in the back of his head. Ear got ripped off. Foley loved it. You know, he did. He was upset that WCW lost his ear and had mishandled the whole thing. But in terms yeah, of the competitor, he loved the, it. the camera angle right and stuff. <laughs> but he was happy with Vader as a performer. He thought, you're doing what I want. I'm doing what you want. That's that's weird, though, because it's Mick Foley. Like, you can't yeah. assume everyone else is going to be okay. Ken Shamrock's not stiff because he wants you to prove something to him. Even though I think a lot of people might think that. Like, oh, Mr. Tough UFC, you're being stiff because you think you're legitimate, so you want your stuff to look extra good. So if I'm going to hit you as a UFC guy, you have to look like you're being hit proper. Is that it? Honestly, with Ken, I think it's just nerves. Yeah. A lot of it is nerves, and he's very athletic. Oh, yes, very. I think we said in the Survivor Series episode that we weren't expecting the speed from him. No, not at all. He was very fast. And I think almost always everything he does, it's like he can't dial back the power. He hasn't got a third gear. No. It's like if Ken's going to jump off the ropes, he's going to probably end up in the third row. Yeah. You know, <laughs> I'd like to see Ken Shamrock try and crack eggs. Oh, I don't think he could. <laughs> yeah, he's crushed them, and then sieved them through his clenched fist. Yeah. I think that's the best way he could do it. So, with that being said, let's go to A Cold Day in Hell, 1997, where Big Van Vader is taking on the world's most dangerous man, Ken Shamrock, who assures us at the start of things in his little red bathrobe that he's in his zone. And JR goes, that's all right, Ken. We won't bother you anymore. <laughs> I love Ken's really silly voice. His voice is not what I expected it to sound like. I'm in my zone. And when I'm in my zone, things happen, JR. Yeah. It's still kind of a breathlessness to it. Also quite high pitched. Yes. Considering he's a he's a big burly man who looks like made of muscles, he's got quite a high voice. I like it. He does like a little pout at the end there as well. Yeah, he's quite pouty in there. Someone said that he was a himbo. I know that's a very contentious term for some some people. So that's maybe I'll try and detoxify it for you a little bit. Ain't coming out and from a hateful place or anything like that. But let's just do, let, it's it. We've talked about this before. I think it's it's Chris Hemsworth and Ghostbusters the reboot. Yeah, right? yeah. It's, Stupid pretty man. He's, he's stupid. It's not a bad thing. There's nothing wrong no, no, with no. You know, he owns it. He owns who he is. He's confident in himself, yeah. even though there's an air of nerve about him. It is a little bit more disarming than Taz by comparison. Yes. I think if you called Taz a himbo, he would kill you. Yeah, we're definitely not going to do that. Absolutely not. Although some of the stuff on Sunday Night Heat... All right. No, no, no. Give me this much at least. AW Dark, where Taz is just kind of, I don't know, doing whatever the fuck he wants and making <laughs> jokes that only Veda Scott will laugh at. He's being a himbo there, right? Because he's being willfully dumb. <laughs> yes, that's that's true. It's fair. But Ken, did he surprise you in his... Um... I mean, like, he's, he seems like a nice young man here, right? He does, yeah. He's... Ah, does he seem like the world's most dangerous man is what I'm asking, I guess. Mm, no, not really. Vader seems like the world's most dangerous man. But only because of like what I've heard about him from other matches. And I must admit, I saw a clip of him once. I can't remember what it was for. Like a Hall of Fame speech or something. And he was out of costume, out of character. Oh, right. And he's just this lovely little old was man. Was it Wrestling With Shadows when he was doing up his boots talking about his property portfolio? Could well be, Very yeah. disarming scene. And I was like, how is that Vader? Joe, it's time to answer the question on the tip of everyone's lips. What, if anything, does Joanna Graham know? 
a Vader's Pain game because he's playing with the boy and the boy knows nothing of Vader's Pain game. So what do you know of Vader's Pain game? I, I, assuming what they mean by the Pain game is the fact that he wrestles stiff. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we, we read Mick Foley's autobiography and he talks about wrestling with Vader. I'm sure we went to see uh, William Regal's Q&A and he talked about wrestling Vader. Like, There's been quite a few instances of wrestlers wrestling vader yep. and having stories to tell from it he he wrestles stiff which means that he will hit you for real i kind of env- envisioned in my mind like a fisher price type of a don't wake dad you know that the box is the face of vader going, vader's pain game you have to tiptoe around yeah. you know uh, and don't wake vader and he'll, <laughs> he'll go over and fucking take your ear off so when they say ken doesn't know about vader's pain game do yeah. they mean they he doesn't know about his reputation for giving potatoes. They're kind of alluding to it here. And this is where some of that Russo writing is coming out a little bit. Even though he's not the head writer here, the influence is very much there where, like, it's very strange on a show where Bret Hart is, where they're kind of going, hey, you know that stuff you've kind of heard about in the dirt sheets and all that? It's true. And Vader in his promo essentially says, yes, Ken Shamrock is a legitimate fighter, but I'm, in this world, I'm more dangerous. And you can argue that because he's basically saying, Ken, you're going to give me your body and I'm going to, I'm not going to respect it. <laughs> I'm going to be really dangerous. Howard Finkel opening us up here. The following contest is a bad idea. Rules are submission or knockout I between Ken Shamrock and Vader. You may as well say this match ends in death. First death loses. Yeah. So... I've watched this match recently enough, but watching it again, I couldn't help but fall into the pitfall of immediately feeling concerned for Ken Shamrock. And then I think maybe five, ten seconds in after Ken spins into the ring, yeah, I'm pretty much concerned for Vader. See, I was mainly concerned for Tim White, who was showing his suicidal urges once again by refereeing this match. A young, like, teenage Josh Matthews there, like, Mr. White, that's not wise. <laughs> so, <laughs> he manages to throw Vader with very like with like Vader's made of nothing he tosses him like he's a sack of potatoes potatoes have got a bit more to them than that though right I'm gonna say tater tots it's the way they fell was like a sack of potatoes yeah fuck. and the, the kicks to Vader as well he's yeah. kicking him in the legs I love the fact that like the first the first offence that Ken does to Vader has then Vader literally running away out of the ring which I didn't realise was a big deal. I thought, you know, he's a heel in this match. He's doing the heel thing. And you're like, oh no, he never does that. What you don't understand, Joe Graham, is that in Vader's pain game, you're allowed to leave for, you know, five, ten seconds, catch your <laughs> breath, because, I mean, this guy's been fucking crazy. And like, i got to say, Vader is moving quick in this yeah. match. And I don't mean quick with regards to his punches and kicks and things as offences. I'm saying when Ken's coming for him, Vader is fucking fast at moving out of the way. Yeah, he's, like, sidestepping around <laughs> yeah. the Ring. I don't think he's ever moved that it's far. It's incredible. And like, there's a part of this where they're like, kind of, come on, Vader, earn your paycheck, be the monster, yeah. be who you say you are. And the kicks to like right below where his ass meets his fucking thigh. Jesus. Like, the way Vader reacts as well is <laughs> so, like he's he's genuinely in pain. It's not selling. It's not, you know, made up or anything. He, he's literally like, it's like me when I was kicking my brother in the bottom when we were kids and he was like, ow, ow, stop that. Leave me alone. Like he's literally hopping away in pain. So there comes a point in the match where as predicted, I was like, yeah, she's going to ask me to pause this and rewind. But yeah, I had to pause and rewind. Vader had a couple of words for Ken, which 
Thankfully, thanks to the cloaking device that comes in Vader's pain game, no one was able to see. Ah, yes, his special hand. (laughs) No one will know what's going on behind there. Yeah, he uses his special hand to cover up his mouth from the hard cam so so he can yell, ease up, at Ken. (laughs) But what I like about this is because this is resting in front of an audience and because he's out of the ring and Ken is in the ring... He's covering his hand and basically yelling to the he audience. He has to project his voice so he yeah. can hear him. And he he's bellows. Covering, he's covering up his mouth on the direction to Ken, which I think may have been why Ken didn't hear him. And the camera's like right on him. Yeah. Like they, they're catching every second of it. And then you see him do it again, covering up his mouth again, saying, he's up to the ref, Tim White, this time. Who then you see whisper it in Ken's ear. like, saying he's up so when Vader comes back into the ring and this is her interpretation of easing up which was three massive kicks in the arse and then a spin kick yeah I think what he thought he said was like ass up and like by that he meant like you know beat the shit out of me ah I see I thought he was saying easy money and that they're doing really good so do more (laughs) of it please they say at this point now that Vader's nose is broken because it's bleeding everywhere and it must say it it does look like it's travelling across his face Vader has his one moment here to really just let Ken knows what's going. Big power. And then you ever see a bear do that kind of like, that little punch. You're playing Red Dead and it's like, you ain't going to do nothing with that little right hand all of a sudden. Like your cart and horse falls off the side of a yeah. side of a mountain and it explodes. Yeah. You guys one of those. He waffles him. Yeah. Ken punches Vader in the stomach and it makes like a kind of hollow wooden sound. The way that a stomach should never make a noise. Like the opposite of that sound. Vader looks like he's in a lot of pain. Yeah, he's bleeding from the mask. And obviously you can tell very, you know, the mask is kind of obscuring it, but it's coming out from underneath there. And you can tell from the way he's moving, he's walking, he's going to be covered up in bruises. Yeah, he's sore. His leg and his arse is all knotted up as well. It's really horrible. So Vader then, I think he's like, I thought he was trying to like send a message to Ken. But you say this is actually like his secret finisher. He, he climbs up the top rope and does a backflip. What, do you mean the Vader salt? Yeah. Oh man, you gotta have a look for the Vader salt. 1997, the year where both Big Van Vader and Terry Funk independently decided to add a fucking moon salt to their Amazing. arsenal. Amazing, I love it. I didn't know Vader could do that. It's incredible. I love that so much. I didn't know they could find a way to fuck it up. In, like, this match is like an absolute travesty in many respects. It's an it's amazing to watch. Yeah. Vader's doing a moonsault. Ken rolls towards him. So Vader basically headbutts Ken's like tummy and then Ken gets up, like Ken's like, I'm getting up now. So yeah. Vader's like, well, I have to get up first because I technically hit him with the moonsault. So. I mean, he's like worn himself out so much from doing a fucking backflip off a top rope as Vader. He's like obviously like dizzy and he's like now trying to rush up on his feet while Ken's just like jumping up and down. <laughs> like- the part where he suplexed Ken to the outside and just went, that was basically when we were trying to get our double bed up the stairs when we moved house every fucking ounce of power and will left in the body i've got a great quote from joe graham here as well folks 
there was a moment in the match where you might have thought, oh, are they going to do that cool UFC thing where someone's in like a triangle choke? So they're, on the, so they're on the ground and they've got their legs wrapped around the other person's arm and neck. And you might do that thing where from the ground they're going to pick him up slowly and then slam him with a big power bomb. So Vader starts doing that to Ken, who has a bit of triangle, and instead he just kind of falls over and drops Ken right in his head. And you said, in fairness, he's a big heavy biscuit. <laughs> He is. He's a biscuit-shaped lad, is Ken. Sure is. Uh, Vader is all fucking bust up. Ken kind of sells a little bit when he's been... Vader puts in some submission holes, which I don't think he's ever done before in his life. I think it's just to, like, so he has a moment to catch his breath. Yeah, literally. Because then Ken starts, like, hitting Vader for real, like, hard. And Vader receipts him fucking huge big time that fucking punch he ken literally spins around like it's a punch out or something yeah horrible when you see it from the second angle where you can see vader face on it's even worse because i think what he actually hit him with was like part of his shoulder and his bicep he just clocked him ken yeah i mean you can understand why vader did that because beforehand ken was literally just like picking him up slamming running around like no downtime It's like these modern matches where like, they're just doing flips and they won't stop. Yeah. It's like the Young Bucks or something. Genuinely. The thing is, though, like after Vader, like it seems to every time Vader gets like a really big move in, Ken does something to just be like, no, that doesn't work. Mirror, deflect. You're Zone back, armor. Your attack back at you. And so like Vader, he punches him really hard. But then Ken just immediately puts him in. Uh, it was the ankle lock, of course. Yeah. And Vader just taps right away. Like, literally immediately. There's so many times where you could listen to, you know, a wrestling pundit take down like kind of your typical episode of Raw or something they don't like. And it's like, it's ridiculous because, you know, the guy just, you know, does this move and then the other guy just hits his finisher out of nowhere and wins. There's always something like, you know, The Miz. And then The Miz just did his finisher and won for no reason. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, this happens here. But the circumstances of it are so... Not typical. The fact that Vader literally gives Ken a concussion there. And then really? Ken is straight up like, you know, ankle look there. And he twists that ankle. Like Vader Vader looks in agony. Yeah, he does. And I think that he, I mean, he must be. I don't see a scenario where Vader taps out in literally two seconds to Ken Jamrock, like for, for no reason. And the real telling point of this is that when Ken finally makes him tap out and wins, he's exhausted. Like, there's no energy for Ken to be like, ah, I won. He's like, woo, boy. That was a long day at the office. He knows something of Vader's pain game now, I believe. I think Vader has learned something about Ken's pain zone. Yeah, that was, fuck, that was, it never ceases to amaze me watching that match. Every time I watch that match, I'm like, re, like, I'm re-blown away all over again. So. I'm so intrigued as to how, a, that type of match would have been booked. Like, who, whose idea it would have been, what their plan was. And B, how that match was choreographed. Because, like, did they go into this knowing in advance what they were going to do? How the match would end? Like... I'd say you probably know in there that Ken's winning. And he's doing he's winning with the submission. And we want to see Ken suplex Vader. But we want to see Vader do some submissions and muscle over Ken. You fill in the blanks yourself type of thing. Right. I imagine that's what it would have been. This... By rights, this should have been Vader's match to call. But what's very strange about Ken, and this is something which will probably become more apparent as we go through his WWF and his, you know, his main career, 
is that he'd been wrestling for a long time at this point. Ken had been wrestling for nearly 10 years at this point, which people don't... They're like, oh, no, he you know, he had his last UFC match two months before he went to WWF. Right. People forget that he was wrestling beforehand. So there's a lot of people who view him as like, ah, oh, this guy, he's a new guy, you know, a little bit greener around the edges. But Ken himself, viewed, he viewed himself as a veteran. Huh. Because well, he'd been doing enough. it for 10, 10 years. years. Yeah. He took what he learned from wrestling. He was able to make something different in MMA with what he learned in wrestling. And what he learned in MMA, he's able to bring something different to wrestling. Yeah. Such as really hurting Big Van Vader <laughs> in a wrestling match. Now, you have got known joy for wrestling when it kind of the, the, the wheels fall off the car a little bit. Yeah. But I also know that you're very wary and very squeamish when we see real life instances of wrestlers hurting each other or people not being able to communicate clearly and it becoming like a bit of a, a nightmare, you know, in terms of injuries and all that jazz. Now neither man was really badly injured afterwards. I they mean were... I didn't realise that Ken had a concussion. That's scary. But you know, there's they were dinged up bad from this. Yeah. What was your star rating for this one? Because I'm very intrigued to know what you made of it. I really enjoyed this match. Yeah. <laughs> and it's weird because it does, it goes against everything I normally like in wrestling mm. in that they are kind of fighting each other for real and they are both trying to cause harm to the other one in a way. And I don't normally think of myself as being like, you know, I don't like the idea or I don't want real matches where people are actually trying to hurt each other. That doesn't appeal to me. And yet in this match, I loved it. And I think part of the reason might be that because I know Vader has a reputation of hurting people. Yes. And I've been aware of that for like six, seven years now. So to see someone like Ken come in and then like kind of give him some of his, taste of his own medicine. Yeah, yeah. It does make me wonder if like some of the guys backstage who have fought Vader before kind of went, oh, you know what? It'd be really funny if we put him in with Ken because he will really hurt him. <laughs> well, you know, we'll save it for the Vader episode, but Vader is someone whose relationship with the management and particularly the WWF and particularly, you know, I would say Jim Ross, big issues with Vader in terms of, you know, they thought that he was an underachiever. Really? So that's why they put him in here. It was kind of sink or swim to a lot. You know, that's very crudely what it is here. There's lots more reasons yeah. why they're doing it. But yeah, I think to your point... Most times where we've watched matches where... Let's take the I Quit match with Mick Foley as a very strong example of yes. a match that you do not like. Where things go a bit awry and it starts getting a bit real. But the difference there is there's one person who has all the power. Yeah. And there's another person who's kind of helpless and being taken advantage of. Exactly, yeah. And they're kind of... Yeah. They're they're a victim in that sense. Doesn't feel like it's a victimless match. Both men are victims of the office. And of themselves. But they're both very much <laughs> victims of themselves and the other. Yeah. I loved it. I gave this five stars. Hey! <laughs> Perfect match. Honestly, I, I'd happily watch this again. I'd happily recommend this to people who are like, love UFC. Yeah. Or, yeah, anyone who's just like, oh, yeah, wrestling's not real. Like, they're not hurting each other. Like, okay, here you go. Here's an example where they genuinely are hitting each other as hard as they can. When the expectation is that you're not going to do that, it, 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 it's genuinely fascinating. It is. It's really entertaining. And it's a hundred times more entertaining than any UFC match I've seen because in that, it's not clear that they're trying, even though they are trying to hurt each other for real, they're not making it visible to the audience. They're not communicating They still have a pain. wrestling match, you know? Yeah. yeah. That's it. They're still kind of selling. You can still... still a story there yeah. that fits their characters, <laughs> even though it like is detrimental to their characters in in a in an odd roundabout way. Also, yeah. just having Ken like <laughs> beat the shit out of Vader, break his nose, cover him in blood, and then him finish his match with that bad sitcom music with the MIDI saxophones. <laughs> executive producer of Vince McMahon. <laughs> 
So Ken starts to, in the late 97 into early 1998, what happens is we start seeing more of the anger with Ken Shamrock. He's kind of lumped in with a lot of the other generic good guys. He was used, you know, when the Hart Foundation were feuding against America, he would have been teamed up with Steve Austin and Goldust and the Legion of Doom as just being like a nice guy who doesn't want Canada to run roughshod over America. So he did lose a bit of his you know, uniqueness. It seemed that there was something of a hesitation maybe to push him to that next level. The stuff with Tyson didn't work. He wasn't maybe as good a talker as they thought. He didn't click in terms of a wrestling style that well. What was notable is that he had a match with Bret Hart in 1997 and while it was very good, it very much exposed that he wasn't maybe ready just yet because if Bret can't get you that five-star main event performance then maybe you're not 100% there. So they move him down a little bit in the card, and maybe he's not going to be Mr. World Championship. But we start getting some wrinkles in his character. The anger, the world's most dangerous man being actually a dangerous man who screams and is unhinged becomes a bit more the forefront. And I was like, how do I show Joe this? I can't just show him being randomly angry in a match. That's not going to do it. That won't explain it. What can I actually show her? And then someone was very nice to point out to me, Remember that time Ken got a bit of dog food thrown on him at SummerSlam? So I showed Joe the aftermath of the dog food match where Ken Shamrock was facing the British Bulldog and the British Bulldog threw, at best, a sample of dog food at mm. Ken. How did it go down? By the way, when I was watching this segment, Joe was nice enough to refer... Do you remember what he called the British Bulldog when he came out? <laughs> called him the Bad Crack Man. <laughs> this is what happens when you hang around with Jim Neidhart long enough, like, and you do crack that a couple times. <laughs> what were your memories of uh, seeing Ken with the dog food? Yeah, it was funny. I liked Terry went all angry, and he's got this this look in his eye, which I think is is what started making me like Ken. Ah, but also, I think what made him not a success in wrestling or the UFC. Okay. Which is this like... Oh, I'd argue he was a success in the UFC. Oh, really? I, I I'm too fair, I don't really know. So, ha- Just so in case anyone misinterprets, uh, and I didn't mention it, Hall of Famer, lots of championships, lots of tournament wins. Yeah, I guess because you were saying about the fans being like, oh, shit. Yeah, they don't like him. He is considered a success, though. He is. And just from what I've managed to glean from MMA fans is that success is usually one of the main things, you know, in as it can come for a variety of different reasons that often very successful MMA fighters are ones who get a lot of flack or have a lot of uh, detractors, let's just say. Right. But the look that you saw, what was that look? It's the look that dogs get when you blow in their face or when they (laughs) hear a loud sound they don't understand. We're recording this around Guy Fox night, so this is kind of, yeah, this is making sense. Or like when a dog is near something that's happened that's gone wrong. Say, for example, okay, you come into your kitchen and your bin's been knocked over and you look at the dog. The dog will pull that face if the dog didn't have anything Wide to do eyes. with it. Wide-eyed, frightened, a little bit angry that you would accuse the dog of this thing when it clearly was not involved. A little bit scared, you know, all these little things. Very cute, a very cute look. This is Ken's look in his eyes that he has when he goes into the zone. The zone. And the zone usually means, like, Ken, at this point, what they start doing was, you know, a lot of his matches would end disqualification because you just freak out and start, you know, attacking referees, attacking officials. The sight of Ken Shamrock, that fucking meaty parade flow of a human being, picking up little, like, all the little referees like, you know, Tim White and Jack Cohn, these tiny lads we were talking about, and he's suplexing them over his head. I love the fact in that SummerSlam freakout that he's got a big wedgie. 
yes. while it's all happening it's as well. It's making him extra angry. It just kind of, it fits it. You just know what's going on. They're, they're, you've got Patterson there going, it's okay now, right? Yeah. It's okay. We're going to have a cigarette. We're going to calm down. It's okay. And he's like, uh-huh. Uh-huh. Ah! And then he'll start suplexing old men. Like a dog angrily chasing its own tail. It's like frustrated and confused. Now, the reason why they actually started to do this and, you know, I've listened to a lot of Jim Ross's podcast that he does where he kind of, you know, goes back and explains what happened, you know, when he was he, he was head of talent relations. Historically, he was into a lot of Bruce Pritchard stuff as well, just to kind of get the insight and their point of view. And they would say that one of the main reasons they did these things with Ken and developed this part of his character is because he was this legitimate UFC fighter. They found it very difficult to beat him in matches. And they didn't want him just to lose cleanly. They would much rather Ken would like win a match and then like go crazy afterwards and then they have to take the match away from him. Or Ken's about to win a match or he's going to go pick up a chair and start swinging or mm. attack the referee. It was an easy out for Ken. Yeah, no, I get that because when you've got a character like him who's so unstoppable, how do you defeat him? But also you can't have someone like him be the final boss of wrestling. Yeah, it doesn't quite work that way. You know, it, it, it worked in the sense that obviously Ken was very protected. But after a while, it became very apparent when, yeah, he was having these excuses not to lose, but he wasn't necessarily picking up the big, big wins. And when it came to the big moments and all that, it rarely worked out in his favour. A real horror show example of that was when he, after Brett left, for after the screw job, Shawn Michaels' first opponent was Ken Shamrock at pay-per-view. And I'm not sure how much you know about Shawn Michaels in 1997 at this point, but let's just say there are many, many moments in the match where Sean's like, no, not like that, like this. You're doing it wrong, Ken. Oh, you know, Jesus, I cannot think of anyone more stressful to wrestle with than Shawn Michaels. Yeah, so Ken's kind of a bit damaged goods in some respects as we're heading into 1998. And here's something as well. When it comes to 1998, you know, Bret Hart's gone. You've got Steve Austin, you know, serious neck injury that he suffers. You know, a lot of question marks over who might be the top guy. You know, Undertaker's getting on in years. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, he's like 28, isn't he? Oh, old man. Well, I listened through to Jim Ross, and JR was asked point blank, why wasn't Ken Shamrock given the, the big run? And there's lots of you know, chances you know, where he, he had you know main event match against the Undertaker, main event match against this guy, that guy, but it never transpired to anything. And JR just said, well... Is head of talent relations. I didn't trust him. Trust him? Didn't trust him. Hmm. Okay. He said that he enjoyed the lifestyle too much. Hmm. He thought he knew... He had it all kind of figured out. He didn't want to uh, kind of learn or adapt his style more or kind of, you know, develop. He thought he had the tools. This is according to the the talent relations folks, not, not us. He said that he felt he had all the tools. He went out. He partied loads. Like Brett, he showed up late. He didn't show up on time. You know, he showed up kind of... That's in, in, in no shape to perform, but, you know, he wasn't showing up early, eager, like the top guy should. Right. So that is the answer to the big question, why did Ken Shamrock never make it to the big time? Despite the fact, okay. you, know, you can tell people loved him. Yeah, but also, uh, just with all those things that they said about Ken, does that not apply to Shawn Michaels? Think with Shawn Michaels, the uh, different... The partying, the probably turning up late, leaving early... The thing with Shawn Michaels, though, and again, I, I love Ken Shamrock as a performer, but Shawn Michaels is is that once-in-a-generation special, keeps getting better, you'll never know what... Like, Michaels was showing up late and being a jerk and all that, and then he'd go out and wrestle, and, you know, if it was the right opponent, he'd pull out things he'd never seen before. Yeah. You know? And I think that goes a long way, and he was Vince's guy. I don't think Ken was ever Vince's guy. No, that's it. I think Ken got in with the 
wrong group. Yeah, and we know one thing that definitely happens with Vince McMahon, which is if he spends a lot of money on you up front, mm. and you're anything other than the all-singing, all-dancing, perfect thing he envisioned, it, it tends to work against you. So, yeah. yeah. But hey, let's head over for our next match, where we're going to look at Ken taking on probably his greatest rival, The Rock. This is at WrestleMania 14 for the Intercontinental Championship a year later, and they are very much all attitude now. There's no apologies for the presentation here. Now, The Rock has got lots of friends in the Nation of Domination as well. And we also settled in and watched The Rock's interview with Checks Notes. <laughs> what? Joanna Lumley. <laughs> but she's American. Jennifer Flowers. Okay, well, she looked like Joanna Lumley. Who, I didn't know who she was when I did an episode about that pay-per-view seven and a half years ago, but I'm going to do it again someday, and I promise you I'll figure (laughs) out by then. i still got time. It's okay. It's okay. She was asking The Rock about if he'd ever run for president, which is so fucking chilling, and he said he preferred the idea of becoming leader. She says... And then he changed it to ruler, didn't he? Oh, yeah, more ruler, befitting. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then she asked him about like the homelessness crisis. And The Rock said that, in his opinion, the homeless should keep to themselves and stay away from his lawn. He said that as far as the courts would go, he would be the judge and jury. And he said, like like a jury, he'd be a hung jury. So he has a big, big dick, dick, basically. Big dick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then he said the interns at the White House must do nothing orally wrong, as in, I guess, give them bad oral sex. So right, okay. Great, great president potential here. Well, as of as of writing, recording this, you know, it's, it's uh, your own Guy Fox Day in 2020. That's the policy platform right there. That's, that's We're going to build from that rock. That's what's going to happen. It's a starting off point, you know, grassroots. Honestly, I think that's uphill from where we are currently. So, <laughs> so the rock comes out. He's got lots of buddies in the nation of domination, including previous episodes. Recipient D'Lo Brown was there bobbing his head along. They show us as the rock is coming out. The chair shot to end all chair shots. I think this is the chair shot that made my brother think that Ken Sharmark was... Just this next level cool badass. I know a lot of people who loved this. How would you describe the the chair shot heard round the world, Joe? It's very impressive and very scary. Fucking horrifying. So Ken is on his knees. The Rock has a chair, and the Rock wanted to hit Ken on the head or something. The backstage they wanted Rock to hit Ken on the head with this chair, the steel chair, and Ken. And this is the thing I found most surprising at all. He was aware of concussions and he thought there might be some long-term risk involved. So he was like, I don't want to give myself a concussion. I'm going to take it to my forehead, which is the thickest bone in my body. He's arguing that if you hit him on the top of the head or the back of the head, which is where Foley would take a lot of those shots, that the bone is thinner and also that you've obviously got the connection between your spine and your skull. The forum and magnum. Yeah. Yeah, I'm a himbo, right? (laughs) (laughs) And that there's more chances and also at the top of the skull, the plates that fuse there and whatnot. Exactly, yeah, Yeah, it's it's softer. Whereas the forehead, you can headbutt someone really hard and you'll probably be fine. A a fact that only Ken Shamrock will ever tell you, the forehead is the thickest bone in your head. Yeah. So he said, hit me in the face with the chair instead, Rock. And that's the thing. And so then he, apparently he tipped his head forward slightly so that it looks like he's getting hit right in the face. And he is, but it is hitting his kind of forehead. He took the chin. He took the chin. Take it on the temple. And he's got a big brow. Like Ken has yeah. a massive thick forehead, so I'm not surprised that's his thick- thickest bone in his body. And I think the part of it that scares me the most always is him gesturing 
do it. Well, that's apparently, that's apparently because when he told The Rock he wanted to be hit in the face, The Rock was like, no, I'm not fucking doing that. You absolute joke. I'm not doing that. That's too dangerous. And he was like, no, no, no. I want you to do it. You better fucking do it because I don't want a concussion. Okay, counterpoint. They then show us a clip of The Rock hitting Farouk in the head with a chair and he fucking walloped him. Yeah. And pretty much any time we've seen The Rock in a chair in this podcast, it's been a bad time. I just don't see The Rock being like, Oh, no, 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 I'm not going to hit you with that. That wouldn't be safe, you know? <laughs> i got to handcuff you first, hit you 11 times in the back of the head, and then drive <laughs> home. you in front of your child. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> your kids here can't, because I'm not doing this otherwise. You know? <laughs> so, there's, there's just instances like that of Ken being... Very cool. Yeah, in that very late 90s way, and I'm very aware that a lot of people will hear that and be kind of like, huh? But, like, here's the thing, like, I think it's hypocritical for me to be like, hey, my brother would see that and be like, cool, he's my guy. And then I see, you know, Mankind throw off a hell in a cell, and I'm like, cool, he's my guy. They're both fucking incredibly insane things to do. Yes. You know, you could argue one is safer than the other, I guess. Safer to who, though? But That's the thing. They're both dangerous, just to different people. It's wrestling, and I think Ken is very much an example of, I don't think anyone's ever going, hey, Ken, you should get hit in the face with a chair tonight. Absolutely not. No, but we do know, culturally, around that time, wrestling fans expected things like that. And if you didn't take a chair shot to the head properly... Fans would call you weak and a pussy and stuff, so... You know, does it say... Are we reading into it too much that the mid-97 until late 1999, that's the period that Ken was in the company, and that's also the period where I think they were the most, like, flippant with chair shots, particularly chair shots to the head. Mm. I don't know if I'm saying, like, oh, it's Ken's fault or anything. I'm just saying, like, the kind of the mood of the company. You know, he was in there during the hot spot, so to speak, right. of, of fucking chair shot city, it would seem. I just love the way that he really did, like, the whole come come at me bro thing where he's like waving to the rock to hit him in the head with the chair is literally because he was like, yeah, if you don't hit me in the face, I'm not going to sell this chair shot. So if you hit me anywhere other than my forehead, I'm just, I'm just not going to do it. Oh man. And then he said as well, when he got hit in the head with the chair, he didn't feel a thing. He said it wasn't that bad. Yeah, he was just like, he, he, he lay back on the floor and he was like, that was awesome. <laughs> Is now my point to mention Ken Shamrock's entrance music and my simple plea to whoever is going to be in charge of wrestling music during this crazy time where you're getting rid of all the people who make good music for you, WWE. Who is going to add more bells in wrestling? Because I get arms, I get arm hairs stand up on edge when I hear Ken Shamrock's theme. It's that ding, 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 ding. The presentation's a little bit more refined here now. He's coming out with the flashing danger, you know, him screaming in the Titantron. Now, you didn't see in this match because he's out to kill the rock straight away. He's running as fast as he can. But the little warm-up before he comes out where he punches himself in the head and then goes, yeah! I think that was my brother's favourite part of every wrestling show we ever watched together when Ken was on there. Did he ever punch himself in the head and go, Duh. No, but he attempted to spin the boss man's nightstick around to, to, to limit his success. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Ken running to the ring. I don't think I've seen you this excited for the start of a match possibly ever. Oh, yeah? Because you you'd seen Rock and Ken before and you told me you were, you know you liked what you'd seen. I did, yeah. But when Ken runs out, you were literally going... <laughs> I don't think I've seen that before. Really? Yeah. Why yeah. Are you are like chomping at the bit. When a wrestler comes out to the ring and he decides, you know what? I can't wait. I'm going to run. And then you were like, yes, thank you so much. Because I can't wait either. Do you know what it is? Why is it? Genuinely, it's. I was really looking forward to the possibility that Ken was going to potato the fuck <laughs> the rock. That he was just going to beat him up for real. And it would be really cathartic for me. Oh my god, that's so funny. Yeah, um, when he's running through the ring, and he's 
attacking the rock at a rate of knots. Yeah. If you hadn't seen the stuff beforehand, the little interview, I was like, I had to make sure Joe saw that because I don't think it reads very clearly that Ken is explicitly the good guy. Here. Yes. Because <laughs> he is quite terrifying. I actually couldn't tell if Ken's punchies were too soft or too hard because when he comes in at first and starts hitting the rock, they look really soft and kind yeah. of shit. But the trouble is because he's an MMA guy, I didn't know if that meant he was hitting him really for real and really hard or if he was trying to do a pro wrestling thing. I think Ken, when it comes to him doing like running and fast and things like that, it's just he's thrown as many things as he can. I would say over under, I'd say probably around 10% of those strikes were potatoes. Yeah. And I'd say around a good 70% of them didn't even come within contact of him. And the remaining 20 were like a worked wrestling punch. Right, because I was going to say, because like, after that, the rock starts bleeding from the mouth. So, I mean, I, I guess they were pretty hard. <laughs> yeah, I think he hit him on the dot a couple of times there. Uh, let, let me tell you something I like about Ken Shamrock when he's wrestling, particularly now here when he's got the character a bit more figured out. When he's running and he goes... <laughs> Or when he does a kick, he's like, yeah! Like, he... I say it when we see you know, live wrestling, I'm always going on, but wrestlers who make those fucking noises. Yeah. When you're wrestling in silence and it's like quiet moves being done, I fucking... I hate it so much. Yeah. Like, I I buy a kick where I can hear a guy go, spinning with it at the same yeah. time. It seems why like, is it, yeah. Why is it tennis? It's more socially acceptable to make sound than wrestling. I want all the grunts in wrestling, yeah. Joe. Like, I'm more sure of it now than I've ever been in my life. Did you enjoy see the rock do the people's elbow? Yeah, it's very good. I like I like Rock's finisher thing, whatever it is. It's, it's very quick and anime. It's this the flippy elbow at the end. It's very stylistic, and it really makes me want to see the rock in a dance. And also, I think the fact that it's a symmetrical maneuver is very nice as well. He runs over one side, he runs over the exact same other side. It's very like that robot thing. <laughs> <laughs> Is that not what he's doing? Joe's doing the full-on robot dance here. And yeah, we'll have to wait for the Rock episode before I can answer that question, honey. I'm sorry. There is a, another great quote from Joe in watching this match. When they go to the outside, you complain that there was meat juice on the floor. Mm. Yeah. Because he's Ken Shamrock, he gets a chair and hits the referee. And he gets knocked out by the chair. Wait, Ken hits the referee with a chair? No, Ken hits the referee when the referee's like, Oh, hey, right. Let me take that chair off you. He's like, no! Ah! <laughs> and then he gets hit himself with the chair by the rock. Well, obviously. I knew that was a bad idea immediately because the rock has like a special weapon that he gets a buff for and it's a steel chair. And as soon as the steel chair comes into contact with the rock, he becomes super powerful. Yeah, he fucking destroys him with that chair. It was a fucking disgusting. I love how when Ken slowly falls back, like that kind of, you know, tree falling in the woods type of a thing. Like Triple H. Yes! Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure he'll love to hear that. <laughs> Rock gets the pin here. We get a one, we get a two, and then the kick out. Ken kicks out with such force that the Rock is flipped 180 degrees. Yeah, it's like he's got on the stunner or something. He's like... Yeah. <laughs> Spaghetti cannot pin Ken Shamrock. I love how refined the character is here because Ken... He locks Rock straight away in that submission hold. His eyes, when the referee's like, okay, Ken, you've won it, that's it. He looks at him, he's like, ha-ha! Ah! Like, he's just, yeah. He's, like he's... a dog that's <laughs> stolen something it shouldn't have, but it really wants. He's not. The dog isn't sure if it should put it back, if it should be scared. If the it dog's got hurt. the car here, folks. We don't know what's going to yeah. happen. Ah, I've got the toy. Rock taps, 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 taps. Yeah, immediately. Now, I know you wanted to see the Rock get the shit knocked out of him. Yes. And, you know, a lot of this 
this is obviously it's, it's worked it's fine all that i don't think the rock was you know really taking it this is not like the last match at all i think it's, it's a worked agreed upon match between colleagues but it's great seeing the rock all like bloody in the mouth being like, ah! yeah. that is a fucking hell of a shot to say yeah it's really good i really like seeing the rock be pathetic actually so ken shamrock has won the match He's gone into the zone, though. Playing his music. All the referees are like, congratulations, Ken, you've won. And he's like, ah. Yeah, you don't understand. He's still got that toy in his mouth. You've got to you've got to use your, the right tone of your voice when it comes to animals. This can happen very often with kittens as well. Where if a kitten has only been with one, um, or you can with cats as well. But if they've only been imprinted on one person, they know them very, very well. When they see another person, they're, they're people are like, oh, they're going to be angry at them. Or they'll just be like, yeah, and they'll get you. Not necessarily that they'll be angry, but they'll just get like a big rush of adrenaline. Yeah. Like, it's like, it's someone new, new smell, new reactions. Yeah. And that will make them just be very, very tense stuff. I mean, people might misconstrue that to be like, oh, they want to scratch you. It's like, no, it's just that they can't help it. Yeah. Their hands are literally coming out like that. Very often cats will be trying to tell you hey i'm really fucking like agitated i'm borderline turned on right now yeah and then be like oh good cat rub 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 yeah, i'm gonna no. play with your dick a little oh, bit like you know God. no just stop like. and ken feels like he's in that situation where he's been agitated yeah and here's the word stimulations yes he he just doesn't seem to know what's going on there's too much there and there's all these referees, which, as we all know, Ken doesn't act well around referees. Yeah, honestly, the thing that this reminded me of was like when, when you're in school as a kid and you see that one child who's got anger issues, who has, you know, ends up freaking out in some way. Something happens that they are confused by or don't understand. Maybe some other kid sort of teases them yep. and the teacher doesn't notice and they just freak out and like throw, start throwing stuff around. I and know that both, very well, yeah. yeah. And then <laughs> you, you can tell that they're like angry and confused and scared and like they don't they don't know how to communicate properly. And it's literally, I look at Ken and I see that type of child. Like he just 100%. doesn't know what to do and is just... Ah! There's, a, there's a, a child that I taught who was a very... Troublesome child, not a bad kid at all, but troublesome in that they were couldn't help that if 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 some if a teacher for whatever reason could even conceive that they had done something wrong, they're like everyone's out to get me ah and you know one time they smashed their English teacher's door, they broke it down off the hinges, smashed the glass, kicked off the door handle, everything. They're they were thirteen, probably around you know little little kid, not a big tough kid, little kid managed to do that and. I was his form tutor and I had spent a lot of time with him, you know, the um, the head of year and all that, trying to kind of navigate our way through this. And we did, because he wasn't a bad kid. And I'm maybe just saying nice things because he gave me a really big bar of galaxy at oh, some point. Oh, it was that child. But I found myself thinking, I'm going to watch this and see the Ken Shamrock freakouts. And my main point I thought I was going to be making is like, I can see why people like my brother or like, you know, older teenage boys would love this because yes, it's anger, but it's not just anger, it's anguish. Yeah. Despite all his rage, he's still just a rat in a cage. It's that <laughs> late 90s Gen X, you know, it's, there's heart there and you could laugh at it or whatever, but Ken is not just like, I'm angry and I'm going to get you. He's angry because he doesn't understand the world. He doesn't understand the world. And exactly, yeah, I think as well, it's important to note that like, all the instances I've seen of Ken being anguished and angry that I've most enjoyed is when he's done it in response to someone shitty. Yes. Like The Rock being a nasty heel or, you know, Vader 
beating him up yeah. for real like he's it seems honestly feels like the child who's been antagonized in school by one of the other probably me he's been egged on by yeah, everyone as well. i'm the shitty kid that eggs on the <laughs> yeah. angry child and then they just start hitting people because they don't understand how to communicate their problems and you get the twenty thousand fans in the arena who are yeah. egging him on as well can i just say though like when you do the kind of the big kind of breakdown you know freak out reaction the guys attacking referees if the referees are flying and the old men are flying and all that, if the audience aren't buying it and aren't viewing it oh as being gosh. like a spectacle, it's kind of awkward. That's happened a few oh, no, times. Really? You know, where they kind of try and do this big pull-apart brawl and people just aren't into it. But here, it's amazing. It's, I love it's a WrestleMania moment for sure. <laughs> and some of the lines from commentary, Ken doesn't know what he's done. He simply can't correlate the thoughts, King. <laughs> so good. Come on, man. The Rock is dead. I think I counted seven suplexes in the first round. To of, referees. To referees. Honestly, he looks, oh yeah, Ken, just as a frightened wild animal. And Howard has to announce, the referee has reversed his decision and disqualified Ken Shamrock. Still Intercontinental Champion, The Rock. And again, even more like like a mad dog who doesn't understand what's going on. Because as soon as he's disqualified, Ken is like big mad. He doesn't know what's going on. So he just like, the rock's being taken away on a stretcher. I don't think he knew know that he at one point was Intercontinental Champion no. there. <laughs> he just knew something had changed and he was supposed to feel a thing, I think. And so then he sees the rock being carried away on a stretcher. He's got the championship Love somehow. Like, Someone's brought it to him. Blood all over. <laughs> and then so Ken just like, Starting like again, like throwing the rock around, throwing furniture around. He's got the rock's blood on his arm. He's nicked the belt. The crowd is going absolutely wild. And Ken, after beating everyone up, he doesn't look happy or angry or anything. Like as you say, he just looks confused and anguished and like I've got all this adrenaline. I don't know what to do with myself. He does a big scream and then he just puts his hands in his hips and walks away slowly. <laughs> it's fucking fascinating and i gave this match five stars wow I thought it was so good i loved it now there's a lot of you had um other matches with the rock after this of course and what was really cool was that you know there was always the feeling that here shamrock was robbed he didn't get his win over him but then at the king of the ring tournament which was a much bigger deal in 1998 than it is in recent years you don't become a cosmic king if you if you win <laughs> <laughs> but he beat rock in the finals of the king of the ring tournament and like Jim Ross sounds like he's going to cry when it happens because it just feels right and vindicated that he beat The Rock clean and it wasn't taken away from he won the King of the Ring tournament. But as the Attitude rolls on, yeah, Ken's got a really cool character now, one that, hey, fits the bill, people like, he's over as hell. He's unfortunately over as hell when there's a lot of other main event people. Like, you know, The Rock in his own right is becoming a huge top guy. You know, I think Ken and The Rock is an interesting one to watch because you probably watched the match there where both men individually think they're the guy who's getting the rub to be the next top guy. Yeah. And it's not for for lack of, of, of trying. You know, Ken did get those main event matches. They did try and push him after the King of the Ring. The fans did enjoy it for the most part. But then very strangely, they decided, you know what, let's just put him in with the corporation, Vince McMahon's team, and make him not necessarily a baddie, but the story they tried to play off of with Vince McMahon and the corporation, what we saw in our pay-per-view classique with him being part of that team, was that Ken had been taken advantage of, or he was very worried that his sister Ryan, who'd been brought in as a storyline character, was you know being perved on by DX and Val Venus and Goldust. And he was super protective. He wanted to make sure that this wasn't going to happen anymore, and or he wanted to make sure that you know the bullshit that was happening with him not getting championship matches when other people were or he'd get a match and people would interfere and it wasn't fair and all that kind of tried to make him out to be like a 
tweener. But the reality was is that they just kind of cut the legs out of his character a little bit. Right. You know, because no one wants to see the guy who's the world's most dangerous man who's unhinged and going, Dah! Like, what you just saw there, do you think he should be a corporate guy? Well, no, but the bits you showed me of him being with the corporate ministry, I really liked. Ah, the corporation against the ministry. Oh, which sorry, yeah, I forget. This is all really confusing. I don't actually know this storyline that well. I had to conf- con- confusingly explain to Joe how during the late 90s, there was a corporate team with Vince McMahon and The Rock and Shane McMahon and, you know, all the baddies who would be in there. They were a mixture of, like, ne'er-do-wells, like Triple H who betrayed his friends and people like Kane and Ken Shamrock and, you know, kind of been taken advantage of and being manipulated to be put in Vince McMahon's pocket right there's also the ministry that's it yeah that's the undertaker's cult yes who were being led by undertaker who was a vessel for satan who would do things like hold black weddings with stephanie which we think we talked about the black wedding before now we watched all the segments with ken shamrock promising that he was going to save stephanie after she got abducted by the undertaker and the ministry of darkness what did you think to ken's adventure via vampires to find where Stephanie McMahon was. Yeah, so he fights Gangrel. Yeah. Because Gangrel's a vampire, so therefore he probably is in cahoots with the Undertaker demon man. I mean, he's Satan adjacent at best, yeah. Joe. Yeah, <laughs> aligned, definitely. They, they, they have mutual contacts, I'm sure. So then he beats up Gangrel, and then he's about to go run and find Stephanie, because Gangrel like, tells him where... Well, it's Ste- Christian who tells him. Oh, yeah, no, that's it. Sorry, yeah. So, okay, he, he beats up Gangrel, and then... Ken gets covered in a red viscous liquid. Are you happy to see that again, huh? Yes, very. Joe's a big fan of red viscous liquid spots, folks. Don't forget, always send in any great ones you see from wrestling. There was a great one someone sent the other day where it's Kevin Nash and a small trickle just kind of like... <laughs> just a, a he shrugs he- at it. He shrugs at this heavy flow. Like, what do you want me to do about it? Like- <laughs> so, yeah, then Edge and Christian come out, which is so funny so funny he's a vampire joe edge is a vampire (laughs) and then ken shamrock covered in blood like beats up christian and gets christian to tell him where stephanie is where is she basement where is she so then ken covered in blood what a sigh by the way when the lights come on he's like That's what inspired the artwork right yes a little bit of that and i love when this happens with Dan, our illustrator, Dirt Furtz on, on Twitter, folks. Give him, a, give him a follow. Let's encourage our pal Dan to, to share his beautiful artwork online more. <laughs> but sometimes a little bit of anime peeks in there. And I don't know if, if Dan is an Attack on Titan fan, but a lot of people were seeing a bit of Attack on yeah. Titan in there. Certainly, that's what I was, was hoping were going that route. And I really like that. You know, yeah. Very cool. So, yeah, he finds Stephanie in the basement, huh? And poor Stephanie, she's terrified, obviously, at the scary man covered in blood. Red, red man that he is. Who also was supposed to be on the bad guy's side. Yeah, but the bad guys were fighting badder guys. Oh, right, and the bad guys were her father. Come on, Joe, people are a bit tired of good guys and bad guys. What they want to see is bad guys and bad guys. Bad guys (laughs) pretending to be bad guys, but actually they are working with the other bad guys and they're all working together. It was me, Austin. Of course, Ken's running the corporation doesn't last very long after they merge with the corporate ministry and it's me, Austin, all along. Ken finds himself on the outs, very upset that he was taken advantage of and that you know Vince would do that to, to Stephanie when he obviously he feels very strongly about 
you know, vulnerable women being uh, being attacked and whatnot. Side note about Ryan Shamrock, his kayfabe sister, who I believe was in the company for maybe two or three months. She was a model who they just kind of, you know, wanted to bring in, thought it would be a cool idea to give Ken a, you know, fill out the backstory. The backstory was that, you know, Ken, 10 years old, living in a car, protecting his little sister at all times, you know, like, mm. a, like, like a good older brother. And they wanted to do a storyline with him where it was incest. Uh, that him of and, course. Who of do you course. think thought of that show? Hmm. Oh, it just couldn't be Vince, could it? it he yeah. Hate, he hates incest so much. So Ryan Shamrock turned down the storyline. Oh, did he? What a surprise. <laughs> and Ken Shamrock turned down the storyline as well. And then, for some reason, Ken decided to start dating Ryan Shamrock in real life. Despite the fact that she was his kayfabe sister, and also that he was married at the time. So fans apparently saw, there's a big thing in the Dirt Sheets, fans saw him like making out with Ryan Shamrock in a car park, and they're like, That's your sister, Ken! It's your sister, what are you doing, Ken? And then Ryan got fired, so. Oh, she got fired. Yeah, but she got fired for other reasons, but you know, yeah, there you go. I also decided to show Joe a couple of little bits just to kind of fill out the, the joy of Ken Shamrock. And I think the thing that actually was most successful... And uh, actually, I just figured out why my brother loved Ken Shamrock so much. Because after he got covered in the red viscous liquid, he looks like Henry Rollins from The Liar video. <laughs> he does. He does, doesn't he? Does, he really yeah. does. He'll fucking eat your soul, lads. <laughs> Ken Shamrock versus Jeff Jarrett in a straitjacket match was one that we popped oh. on for a little look at. I mean, were you expecting much from a man with no arms? No, I was expecting nothing. That was such a good match. If we had given that match a proper rating, like I would have given that one five stars. This it's, is on track to be your best reviewed guy ever. I, I love, I loved his story. Like I really thought with the straight jacket match, it would be shit and boring and kind of like the blindfold match. Like it's set up to be terrible, right? Well, yeah. Except I think even with the blindfold match, I understood because of Jake Roberts being who he is, the potential. Yeah. Whereas like you think of Ken Shamrock and you don't think, oh, there's a guy who you could tie two arms <laughs> behind his back and he'd still be fantastic. Like he's even faster and more impressive without his arms in use than You're he is with them. The calf kicks, he chokes out Jarrett like with his legs. Yeah. He does like a roundhouse kick and he like he's so forceful with his kick that he pushes himself off balance and then re-steadies himself without using his arms. That's incredible. I wanna see I wanna see him dance. I wanna see him <laughs> and the rock dance. It, the thing is is that this is like watching back on Ken's stuff and I was hit with such a heavy wave of nostalgia. A good nostalgia. But also as well, I was kind of filled with these kind of like semi kind of like, oh it kinda of sucks or whatever because we watch that match and what happens at the end is that Ken's in the straitjacket and Vince McMahon comes out oh, yeah. and steals the key and runs away. <laughs> and then Ken's like in a straitjacket like trying to rip himself out going, Aah! and he's jumping against the walls and yeah. JR's like, we got to get him in a padded room, folks. <laughs> and you were like, oh my God, Ken Shamrock and Vince McMahon, show me that please. Yeah. I'm like, well, they did a Lion's Den match thing, but like it wasn't a match. It was just like a two minute angle where Vince pretended to beat him and didn't actually do the feud even though they're like Ken Shamrock wants to kill Vince McMahon for what he's done to him fucking coward Vince fucking coward Vince you've gone down in my estimation so much I thought he was a hard man I thought he could take it clearly I thought, not I thought Vince was a man you know who liked to challenge himself Mr. oh you're gonna jump off the top rope huh? I'll, sh- I'll show you I'll do it wrestle first. Ken Shamrock huh 
What's yeah. the matter, huh? You scared, I never, huh? I would never ask my talent to do anything I wouldn't do. <laughs> if famous words of Vince McMahon, he's yeah. not going to wrestle Ken Shamrock, that would be the best match in the in the world. Where Ken just beats the shit out of Vince McMahon, who you know then doesn't know how to play fight. That's just what I wanted to see. Beat him up again, which would make Ken beat him up even harder. We never got to see a proper resolution to that. You know, it's really frustrating. Same with like, there was a storyline that really gripped me as a kid where it was around the time of Stephanie being kidnapped and Ken went to Vince and he said this guy says that he's controlled me by Satan he says he's darkness this and that I'll break his leg Vince <laughs> I'll just break his leg I'll break his leg with the ankle lock he won't be able to walk job done and I was like this is incredible you're literally like fighting demonic powers with the threat of breaking a leg but nothing like the match flopped and it didn't really work and I, there were so many instances where it felt like they were telling you we don't really have faith in this guy there's still time for a Mr. McMahon versus <laughs> Ken Shamrock match. You know, they're both still alive. They're yep. both still in excellent shape. Yeah. Maybe I'm only slightly biased about this because, you know, Vince is slightly in worse shape Boy, than Ken. Boy, I can fight, let me tell you. I just, I, just, I just would really like that. I'd really like that. Yeah, I'd like to see... Generally, I think I'm going to try and manifest Ken Shamrock. 2020 could do with that. With 75-year-old Vince McMahon. Mm. Now, so another fun match we got to watch in preparation for our final match here. I showed Joe the time that Own Heart took on Ken Shamrock inside of a dungeon. Not just any dungeon, I'm talking about the the, the, the dungeon, you know the dungeon. The, the dungeon. With, the one with all the chains and the, 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 the bars and yeah. the, the old mossy stones. The one with the damp and the fucking holes in the ceiling and the carpet. The rusted old weights. Yeah, and the smelly, sticky carpet. The sofa next room. <laughs> Did you have a good time watching Ken in the in the Oh line? yeah, so <laughs> fun, yeah. <laughs> I mean it was it was ridiculous. We covered that in depth on the on the Attitude Era podcast, the idea of own heart challenging someone to, to face him in his little basement. Yep. Uh, in a ludicrous match. Again, one of those things where I think Ken was putting a lot of these very like hands-tied matches, both figuratively and literally. I mean, you've got no ring ropes. You've got a ceiling that if you jump up anywhere, you're going to bop your fucking head on it. And they do. And they do. And you know, they're, they're there like, climbing on the, the, the poles and Love jumping it. around. Really cool stuff. And I think you seem to be very impressed from that kind of raw athleticism of like the... Being able to jump up and grab something, or be able to f- fling yourself very far across the arena. We watched Ken, age fifty-six, watched one of his matches from from Impact this year, and he did like the Undertaker used to do in his prime, or Roman Reigns does now, where he just jumps yep. no touch over the top rope once. Yeah. What the fuck? Amazing. I don't know how he can still do that, or how he was ever able to do these things. But the man's a freak. I would love to know what his workout routine is. I'd love to know what exercise he does. Like if it's like CrossFit or something. He's admitted to steroid use. Yes, I had heard that. And his brother alleged that he'd been on steroids his entire life. Frank Shamrock said, like, you know, he's never been clean. Like, there's loads of people who have come out about it, but historic steroid use has not been as well documented as more recent steroid use. And we'll get into that in a, in a little bit. Okay. But hey, let's look at our last match. It's from SummerSlam in 1998, where Own Hearts taking on Ken Shamrock. And not just any match, Joe. It's the Lion's Den match. What is a Lion's Den? It's, um, it's a ring without any ropes. So not ring, I guess. It's a... What do they call it on commentary a shape a shape of a, a a structure you should chat with billy about this he had a, i think billy said told me this is a dodecahedron back in the day oh yes yeah, 12 sides yeah so uh, it is best of shapes we right. have a, a yeah dodecahedron is definitely a best shape yeah 
And there's like a a platform around the edge of the top of the I ring. I love that. That's very cool. Very cool. And you've got like a cameraman up there and the referee. It's just yeah, very neat. And yeah, it's a cool. It's a cool little zone. I mean, it it kind of reminds you of the UFC. Definitely reminds you of the but UFC. But it's not trying to be the UFC. It's right. it's you know it's got more sides. It's got they're using the cage in a way that they don't really. It's kind of. T- it's tilted a little bit yes. unlike in the UFC where I believe it's it's more of a straight cage yeah. or whatever and a, and a lower one as well and it's a match that I think I appreciate a lot more having watched again recently I don't know if like, the most favourable thing to say about this back in, in back when but kind of appreciating how fucking impossible it must be to wrestle a match without ring ropes I'm, I'm thinking about that a lot like mm. you know the fact they're able to have a proper back and forth match that didn't feel like it dragged at any point and there's no ropes you can't leave the ring you can't go into the corner there's you can't do like all the things you do in wrestling to save yourself time or to bridge a bit between one part of the match and the next but i guess that's fine for these two because owen would have learned to wrestle in the dungeon no yeah. ropes there it's just horrible kitchen walls yeah and ken shamrock yeah his background's in sort of mma ufc type thing so I think he would be used to a few different scenarios there. They kind of make it in kayfabe that this is Ken's match. Because right. the Lion's Den is actually a real-life training camp that Ken Shamrock used to run. Oh, really? And it was one of the first kind of super camps, like big, big training camps. We bring a load of people. It's like, hey, you want to find the UFC? Well, you know, train with me. We'll, we'll, we'll do it in the Lion's Den. You know, survival of the fittest type of a thing. And I know that some of the stuff that he innovated there, people were telling me, is went on to be kind of incorporated into a lot of other camps it's kind of kind of the uh blueprint for a lot of things like the ultimate fire which is a reality show that ufc have done for for many many years based around training camps oh and dan seven's here as well he's got a nice big towel there's dan seven i thought you'd like his towel very nice towel. he looks fucking cozy joe he does look cozy a cozy coach and we've got beautiful baby owen so nice to see him again i love the lights that they had above yeah it's really cool little cool area this is what raw underground could have been yeah, what wishes it was. Yeah, if you put Vader and Ken Shamrock on this platform as well, that's the peak raw underground potential. <laughs> Own like I think everyone. Yeah, actually, everyone we've wrestled, seen wrestle so far has bled from the mouth yeah. at some point. Yeah, Owen's bleeding from the mouth here. Also, it's really weird seeing Ken help the referees lock the cage. Well, it's his cage, Joe. You know, it's his... I know, but it's just like it's, it's like seeing a dog lock a cage. It's like <laughs> weird. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. It's I like quite that he, if he can do that. I like that you've dug in with that. You know, you've clenched your feet into the mat with that uh, analogy. He is a dog. We, a have, dog. we have confirmed this. Right, we get some very impressive things here because you and I have been playing Yakuza Judgment recently and that was uh, a game we, we polished off uh, just before the end of first lockdown. Beautiful game. If you've not played it, please play it so you can enjoy it and also get this joke. Ken was like Yagami here when he was doing his wall jumps. He did, yeah. He jumped off the wall. Well, except he do a lot better than I didn't really figure out how to do those wall jumps, so I kind of avoided Yeah, them. no, that's true. Yeah, like he made four. it look really easy. <laughs> I think he did more in this match than I did in our 70-hour playtime yeah. of judgment. That's true. That is true. I love that. And I love as well that he ripped off Owen's shirt and used it to choke him with. <laughs> like, it's proper... It's, it's proper... Whatever those types of games are where you fight... Lots. battle damage yeah and yeah. you have to use like combos and weapons and stuff and you get like bonus points for style there is definitely he was getting a lot of bonus points for style here yeah no they, they really got that sense of you know kind of that street fighter type of thing again ken's this type of fire own is like a wrestler who's trying to go into this world and owns a cocky wrestler who thinks 
because of his pedigree he can hang in the lion's den and he's finding out that this is like his worst fucking nightmare I like the whole idea that Dan Severn is like giving him a few pointers and he's okay now <laughs> you got dragon sleeper you're fine it's alright <laughs> We get a second for wall jump from Ken, and then when he's going for a third one, Owen catches him mid-air and power slams him. Fucking incredible. There's a lot of that with Ken where he allows himself to be caught mid-air or he catches people mid-air. Very close stuff. You know, we saw yeah. it in, you know, as well where him and The Rock did that kind of both diving for the nightstick in Survivor Series. We get the sharpshooter from Owen. Oh my God, Owen has Ken in a sharpshooter. And of course, it being Owen Hart, it's a fantastic sharpshooter. Oh, you saying it's nicer than Brett's? I'm not saying that. I'm just saying it's oh, a lovely no. sharpshooter. He's one Very of the best. Nice. And Ken just fucking crawls across the ring in the sharpshooter. Crawls up the side of the fence, still oh, in the sharpshooter. That flexibility, man. And like, Owen is proper squatting he's like bum on the floor i ken is so flexible everything on him is tight <laughs> <laughs> it was unbelievable honestly it was a an act of kind of <laughs> right when i first did this uh review this match like seven or so years ago i think i'd done ddp yoga like 10 times i thought i had the world figured out now i'm on ring fit i can appreciate that fucking a lot more <laughs> okay you can bend those legs you can bend that core that's fucking insane it's really incredible can, yeah Ken climbs out his way out. He manages to muscle out of there. Owen goes for the dragon sleeper, but it's reversed. And he gets trapped into the ankle lock. And Dan Severin decides he's not even going to bother throwing in that lovely towel. Nice, nice big rough towel like that. He's probably going to go have a nice shower himself. Yeah. Well on you, Dan. Dan leaves again, not intending to upset Ken Shamrock. It was for, <laughs> it was for he didn't want to didn't know his technique. He just, <laughs> didn't want to see spoilers for the finish of the match. Spoilers. It was the ankle lock which he used <laughs> to make Owen tarp out. Again, I don't think we've had a more dominant person in our matches. Ken's won every match we've watched, even our supplement viewing he's won them almost all by the ankle lock except for the one where he didn't have arms and he won it by using his legs instead so uh great setup i love the idea that this was in the middle of a summer sound that there was this other like kind of satellite location very cool i want to see more of that they kind of tease that at our pandemic wrestlemania 36 that there'll be multiple locations but it was the performance center yeah small scale arenas that could be the future for wrestling you know in the new normal in 2021 and 2022 potential i would like to come from a multitude of small locales with socially distanced people that each have their own unique look this is in madison square garden this room and it was awesome i love yeah. this well, that's really really cool yeah I, I enjoyed this match a lot the best bits obviously for me were the parts where ken crawled up the walls or yeah. jumped off the walls or anime ran up the walls <laughs> he actually ran up the wall and then did like a backflip off it at one point it's so silly i love it but this match wasn't as intense as the other matches mm. we watched as the other matches we watched which, it felt a lot more like a wrestling match this yes, one which i'm glad for because i don't have any interest in seeing owen hart get beaten up for real by ken shamrock <laughs> i wouldn't have enjoyed that it's uh, not what owen's talent is yeah I'm, so I was I was happy just to see them both kind of you know do a wrestling match and it was it was jolly good fun. I gave this three stars out of five. Mm -hmm. I feel bad that I've given Owen Hart's match the lowest rating in all of Ken's matches this episode. But in fairness, <laughs> this was the only match where it was the two guys locked in the ring without the kind of spectacle of it becoming a farce. Yeah. Or you know there was a lot of WrestleMania magic in the air for that WrestleMania 14 one. I think it's 
this doesn't have that opportunity with not having a million referees run out and Ken Shamrock having a fucking character moment like that. This was this was still fun. Him on top at the end where he jumped to the top and just started going ah to everyone. So awesome, <laughs> fucking awesome. Yeah, I think I would have loved to have seen. I guess a version of this match or storyline where Owen is more of a nasty heel, yeah, and he winds up Ken more, and then yes. Ken goes into the zone. I kind of would have liked him to be a bit more of a coward, even this match, yeah. like him trying to escape or something yeah. like that. Yeah, it was it was a real fun match, though. Getting into Ken's, you know, later time in WWF and his Twilight year in 1999, we did look at. Ken and Steve Blackman in the much talked about but very strange Ring of Iron match, aka what Raw Underground could have been. <laughs> but uh, I thought I wanted to show you that just because, you know, I think it almost worked against Ken in the Attitude Era, where at the start it's like, cool, you've got a character that's kind of like yourself. And that's what the early Attitude Era was really about. It's like, let's turn up the character volume. Steve Austin's really Steve Austin, Triple H is really Triple H, you know, Mick Foley's Mick Foley, that type of a thing. But Ken felt less than in the later year of 99. It's less like, oh, let's make him more like Ken Shamrock. It's more like, let's think of things we can do that are outside the box that an ultimate fighter character might do. And that's why we got things like the straight jacket match or, you know, Steve Blackman and Ken Shamrock wrestling with 20 renter cars in a, in a low ceilinged basement. <laughs> that was an odd one to watch back. Yes, it was. It was very impressive, though, because... I assume they were not really using like fake glass for the cars because like there's a lot of instances where Ken just punches a window and it just shatters. Yeah, and he hasn't even given a special device like no. Goldberg has. And he he doesn't sell it like he he it's nothing. It's like he's punching a pillow. I always say with Goldberg, the problem was when he punched through the window, he tried to get that itch on his elbow on the at the same time, and mm. because he did that and he rubbed it back and forth, it just. Bloody glass. Glass is too sharp to scratch an itch. So, yeah, I mean, I think a lot of stuff like that, I remember at the time, you know, my brother being very invested in stuff like that, that he was doing these kind of cool, you know, almost like something that Jean-Claude Van Damme or Seagal, like it was like a, re- a movie type of an atmosphere. And hey, I appreciated that he wore jeans. And a, and a polo neck as well, and folks. A- Kind of polo neck, yeah, turtleneck thing. But I don't think his feud with Blackman really popped. And it was around this time they started doing this angle with Ken where he kept getting attacked by Blackman over and over again. And it felt like they were trying to build up a character in Steve Blackman at the expense of Ken Shamrock. Like, there were two occasions, I remember. One was the King of the Ring 1999, and then another one was later in his last match with Chris Jericho, who was his last feud, where they had Ken start coughing up blood. And the first time was because he'd been attacked so many times by Steve Blackman. He had internal injuries. And in a match, he'd start coughing up like a fountain of blood. And it was really oh, fucking horrible. And in his last feud, which is with Jericho, and the whole feud was Jericho was like, this guy's crazy. Look at him. And I'm going to keep myself in a cage so this crazy man won't get near me. He shouldn't be a wrestler. This guy's too crazy. And then he had a match with, with Ken. And the idea was that Jericho wore all this padding because he was so scared of Ken. And he like jumped on him in all this hockey gear. And then Ken just started going, and loads of blood spewing everywhere. And the, pretty much on commentary, it's like, well, well, what do you expect? Ken's got internal injuries. He's full of blood. He, he's That's it. And that was the last we ever saw Ken Shamrock in the WBF. What? He's got internal injuries? He's coughing up blood and that's it? He's gone? Joe, every time for the next two years, basically the last two years my brother was watching wrestling with me, every single time there was a, who's coming back? Or rumors are saying someone's coming back. My brother was convinced. 
convinced that Ken was coming back every Aww. time. And every time it was someone else, I remember when Ken wasn't revealed to be the man who ran over Steve Austin, my brother was upset. When it was revealed that Billy Gunn was coming back and not Ken Shamrock, he was upset. The one, the real clincher though, Christmas 2000, No Mercy comes out on the N64, we get it. And who's the secret character in it? Ken Shamrock, which my brother and I took as gospel gospel because who better than thq to know the contract negotiations that are going on of course he's coming back he didn't he was just making a beeline for somewhere that had come through the darkness of the late 90s and now was starting to become a little bit more viable financially bigger audience bigger pay-per-views big stars like chuck jones and tito ortiz the huntington beach bad boy who ken shamrock has a three or four pay-per-view series with breaks records for the ufc makes loads of money in the ufc Loses every vice that he has. And Ken's career, his record in UFC at this point, he goes to like one and six around here. He he has high profile matches that get huge amounts of buys and he loses pretty decisively to wow. the people who would become the stars of UFC who would then be the next generation. The people who would be like, you know, Tito Ortiz, he became a, I think he became a local congressperson, a local congressman the other day in, in, in the elections. Huh. He's a big name in, in UFC. He's a Hall of Famer and all that. So he kind of he kind of went into let the next generation take over almost. But it's a weird thing to do in an industry like UFC, though. Yeah, because I don't want you to think now that Ken Shamrock's Terry Funk going, i got to get the next generation yeah. ready. It's more like, shit, there's the next generation. i got to make some money. <laughs> and he did Ken Ken made himself you know plenty of, of money in UFC doing it uh, he did have a toe in the water in in wrestling as well when TNA had their first pay-per-view he won the championship there and then they couldn't come to terms on a deal with him because he wanted to do UFC so he went off did more UFC once the UFC stuff dried up he started doing Bellator and some small little promotions that he would book himself and honestly, this is where it gets a little bit sad, at least in terms of the UFC stuff, because I talked earlier about early days in Pancrase and stuff about the, what's real and what's not. He had a series of fights which had very strong accusations that they were worked fights and they weren't telling the organizers or the judges or the referee or any of the people actually involved. Particular one of note against Kimbo Slice. And Kimbo Slice is a very eye-catching very famous you very famous mma fighters because he's a huge powerful black man with a big bushy beard he knows how to talk he knows how to sell a fight he was a name but can't really fight him and ken had a fake fight pretty much okay and in ufc no no not in ufc because ufc wouldn't book him at this point yeah. all right so where was this just some i think it was bellator or some kind of what's bellator it's a, oh, it's a smaller promotion like smaller you know, mma leagues all right okay yeah so these smaller leagues are putting on these fights for ken and you know, it's pretty embarrassing. People like Joe Rogan are very upset that the sanctity of the sport is being tarnished by, by this. And I, I watched a bit of it, and it's like, it's pretty wrestling. It's like, you know, Kimbo slices in a submission for ages, and then he gets up and he knocks out Ken Shamrock in one punch. And it's like, all right, mate. I don't think that's actually happening. Yeah. He had a series of matches then with Royce Gracie. And it's like, oh, you know, 20 years after the original fight in UFC, Royce Gracie's coming out of retirement to fight Ken Shamrock allegations of fixing allegations of steroid use on both men allegations of you know unprofessionalism just it being dirty all these kind of wild west shows that are being run where it's people like all oh, these old mma guys just trying to get a payday basically 
It's kind of a circus. I don't blame anyone for trying to make a payday, though. No. But, I don't know, do you think that he should be allowed to put on a fake fight? Or should he, or, or do you have to be upfront about that if you're going to present it as, as competition? I mean, wrestling is presented as competition often. Yeah, true. I don't think it... Hmm, I don't think it really matters so long as the people who are involved with the actual production know if it's predetermined or not you can't be having bets and stuff like that if it's going to be predetermined i mean because you can i guess you can, you know, you have you can bets bet on wrestling. wrestling yeah right, yeah i i can't pretend to be as upset as an mma fan would be about it i honestly can't yeah and i can see why an mma fan i <sighs> it's like the opposite of your know, brock and randy when they had their match at SummerSlam. it's like this is a match that's meant to be fake and you took it too far yeah. like, this match is meant to be too far and you took it to fake <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, if it's a different company, though, it's not UFC or whatever, then I don't think there's any reason to be angry because yeah. you don't know what to expect from a different company. I mean, Bellator is a bit, you know, they're number two. They're a distant number two, but they're still, you know. Were they, like, established before all these fake fights? Yes. Oh, I and see. They did have a, yeah. So they did kind That's of where ruin the reputation, though. Jake Hagar fights oh. there. And I will say, back when I remember, like, you know, Batista and Brock Lesnar were, were trying to get into MMA and stuff, Bellator was, was viewed as a kind of a much higher up you know if you, Paul Heyman was in talks about taking over Bellator at one point wow. what a weird alternate timeline that is Ed Miliband's definitely PM in that one folks <laughs> so yeah it's kind of like I'm never going to be as upset by it I get why people are upset by it I think it did destroy his reputation a bit but as I was saying to you his reputation was already pretty you know amongst purists it was already in the toilet by the time he was coming back in 2003 or 4 so what are you going to do you know, and I mean, I don't want to have a long chat about his UFC career and his MMA career because that's not what this podcast is about. I think it should only be there as it kind of pertains to wrestling. And really, all that stuff he was doing, it was for him probably an easier payday than wrestling because he did very little wrestling, you know, the last 10 years. Right. Other than coming back to, to, to TNA, Impact Wrestling, for this ridiculous run in 2019 where he's 55, 56 and he's shredded to fuck. Got introduction to the Hall of Fame there. I don't know if we'll be seeing more of him. I mean, it's an odd place. I have to bring up as well that Ken Shamrock is fucking terrible at Twitter. Is he? Um, <laughs> For many reasons. One of which, I don't know how you'll think about this. We used to make fun of him about it all the time back in the day. But around 2014-15, Ken gets Twitter. And he starts tweeting Vince McMahon and Triple H. And saying, said you should book me in a match. Yeah. Yeah, okay. And then it's like, Triple H, I called. Why didn't... Oh. I'm your biggest fan, Ken. The tears don't go! <laughs> but he's, he's publicly tweeting these people like begging for a match. And it's like, he didn't want to do the Kurt Angle, like, be humble or whatever. He's like, oh, people want to see me. I want to have a match. And I remember thinking, that's kind of shit, Ken. But like, having read reviews... Having read interviews and heard interviews with Ken in recent years, it kind of makes a little bit more sense. Ken's calmed down in some respects, but he's still a weird dude. He means well, but he is very much Ken Shamrock. Yeah. Which brings us to our new, now regular occurring of segments on <laughs> our series, where we talk about wrestlers who have TED Talks. Uh, Joe, we've had one of these before, I think. 
Have we actually had one in an episode? I'm yeah. not sure if we have. Eric Bischoff, oh, I Of believe. course, Eric Bischoff's terrible TED Talk. Easy E showing that it's much easier to beat WWE for several weeks in the ratings in the 90s than it is to give a talk about anything to a TED audience. I love the idea as well that like people in wrestling... Because so much of your job as a, as being involved in wrestling is understanding crowd control yeah. and like audience interaction, and yet every TED talk it goes against everything they've been taught. <laughs> it's like none of your jokes will land. Nothing you say will make sense to them. <laughs> those those references you are making they are not making sense to your audience. So yes, his uh. His TED Talk. Uh, yeah. Now, obviously, when we found out that Ken Shamrock was doing the TED Talk. We did that thing where we spat out coffee and then we rubbed our eyes and went, huh? And then huh? we threw away the whiskey that we'd been drinking. And went, I've been drinking too much. <laughs> yeah, I, I was actually laid down in the gutter and yeah. mine was in a brown paper yeah. bag, you know? Uh, so, so it was doubly strange when we found out that Ken Shamrock gave his TED Talk in Salford. Yep. In the same theatre we saw Stuart Lee in as well. Yeah, and not even that long ago. No, we're, we're local to, to, to Salford, yeah. you know. Uh, Salford, uh, not born or bred, but we right. live here. We buy bread here. <laughs> <laughs> Ken Shamrock, I think the only thing you can really tell why it was like kind of Salford and a TEDx talk was if you looked really carefully at the foam letters, they were a little bit grotty. Oh, yeah. Just a little bit like they had the funding cut from them in 08, <laughs> like, you know, which is, which is horrible. So what was the thrust of Ken's... TED Talk. What was he here to talk to us about? Do you remember what the, the title of his speech was? Oh, the title. I don't remember exactly what it was. I think I recall. Oh, yeah? Save the children! That was it, yeah. Oh, does that mean he's a QAnon? I think because it came from so many years ago. It's save our children, not save their children was what it was. I thought it was both. I, I'm not sure. I, I, I really need to double check on that. <laughs> but he wants to save our children. And this yeah. was the, the TED Talk was where we actually found out the most kind of, I would say, clear information about his, his upbringing and all that. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, he, so he's... The TED Talk is basically... It's a bit of a confusing TED Talk. It's The short of it is... It's about making the world a better place for children. Yeah. But he's not quite able to... You know, it's obviously a very... It's a hugely complicated subject. It is so complicated. As to why children find themselves in these situations. And especially, like, you know, children who were in Ken's situation where they were kind of moved around a lot. And he's he's obviously empathetic to it. Mm -hmm. And I was shocked the degree of that empathy because there's plenty of cases of people who have an upbringing like that, have hard times, and it's like, you know, hard times don't last, but hard people do, and that's kind of the the end of it. And it's, you know, I'm not saying just because you have a hard upbringing, you fucking have to go and, like, be involved in it. It's just that the fact that Ken was, I was I was somewhat surprised when I found out that he was running foster homes yeah. where he has, you know, several several places that were connected with him where he was in charge or he had, you know, helped train people. Mm-hmm. He works with troubled kids. He's like kind of like a, a last resort for some people yeah. who work in certain counties where he works. I mean, he was working with kids in Salford when he yeah. came over. And you got to imagine it, folks, right? Ken Shamrock, with everything you know about him, either from this episode or from beforehand, coming out to do a talk with the fucking broadest, most agreeable thing, I think kids are good! That, I think we should keep the children safe. And he's wearing the shiniest suit you've ever oh seen. Oh my god, it's so shiny. To say that is exactly like I thought it would be if Ken Shamrock did a TED Talk yeah. is an understatement. It it was incredibly moving. It also made me laugh a few times. 
but it was so earnest. I really don't want to make people make people think I'm like having a pop or anything like that. No. But like just to hear Ken Shamrock articulate things that you would never expect someone like that to articulate. He's very he, obviously, you know, his dad, his his adopted dad. Yeah got into his head in a good way in a fantastic yeah. way like he was able to articulate things that were in ken's mind that he couldn't articulate himself and then he was able to use those words to explain how other people feel in different ways or the same ways and go look see this is how you're responding to this but not everyone responds the same way everyone's different and he talked about how you know at, at his father's funeral there was 200 former you know runaway kids or whatever who are all from there and every single one of them he said were, were all like on the straight and narrow well adjusted living life properly you know and they wouldn't have had that opportunity yeah. so i think he holds him in a very high lofty ideal whether or not the ideals of the kind of the 70s and the 80s and maybe the the regulations are lack thereof because a lot of what ken's complained about is stuff we talk about is like, they want to come in and put locks on the doors and make it an institution you can't put children in an institution and like I get he's he's fired up about some of these yeah. things. And like his thing he's most fucking fired. He's like, we gotta give the money kid kids gotta get the money. We gotta if we everyone in this room gave a dollar, we'd have eight thousand dollars for kids. But then, where's the dollar? But then in literally the same breath he goes on to say about how this has nothing to do with politics and how pol- we should stop caring about politics so much and talk more about the children and the kids and what we can oh, do it's to help all them. Politics, baby. And it's, Ken, baby, I don't know who's been talking to you about this. Like, who's been putting these radical ideas that, like, saving children is somehow apolitical? Babe, it's the most political subject you can get. Yeah. And he's saying, like, oh, the kids need more funding and we've all got to, you know, it's, it's on us as a society to come together and help these kids. And then he's saying, the only thing we can do is give them money, but not taxes, not, not, not voting for the government that we need. What he's saying is you can't rely on governments or the system to help these kids in the way they need to be helped and i get that i get that because with that whole world of fostering and adoption and all that you, you you can't just rely on the system because those things only work when you know very empathetic special people come in and do the hard work yeah. and you know actually open their homes and their hearts to these kids one of the reasons he says that he feels he failed the other foster homes is because every, all the other foster parents he had were being paid to look after him it was him. a paycheck for him it was yeah. a paycheck that's what they were doing it for that's the reason they were agreeing to help they weren't in it to look after and care for and nurture and love a child they didn't live in the house which is like kind of a, yeah. a big part of it but like so, like, for him, I think, to get this opportunity then of, like, someone who actually, he's there not to earn a paycheck, he's there to, like, bring out the best in you. He sees your potential as a child and goes, yeah, you've got a future. Come on, we just need to channel that energy. If you were to kind of say, like, hey, you got a trouble kid in America or anything like that, and, you know, I, I probably couldn't think of, of many people, if you want to do the whole scare you straight boot camp, you know, tough love or... You know, whatever it is, I think Ken Shamrock can, could give a kid that, and he obviously has because he's had a very successful like, career in complete parallel to all this other stuff we've been talking about. It's just part of him that you don't really know. I kind of, like, almost cried and laughed at the same time. There was a bit where he was describing what kids need when they're troubled. This bit, literally, yeah. I, I, I teared up for this bit. It was, it was so, so crude, but so <laughs> right. And he's like, when you're a kid... And you're troubled. You have to think of a thing 
to get the bad stuff out of your head. For me, I was an angry kid. I fought. I didn't appreciate authority. You put me in sports. Sports, I work out the anger. But for other kids, it's different. If they're depressed or if they are sad, you get them to make paintings or do music and piano. And it gets the sadness off of their head. <laughs> I, lo I love you, Ken. I fucking love you. Because, like, yeah, yeah, true, yes. It's a very simplistic way of looking at things, but actually at, at the at the heart of, of this complex, complex subject that is caring for children in this modern world of yeah. capitalist hell, yes, that is it. It's absolutely children need ways to channel these new feelings and feelings that they have. They just don't know what they are and how to cope with them. And yes, for people like Ken, kids like Ken, who will get angry and can't verbalize it, they need to do something physical and like get that stress out of them. And then for other kids, like, you know, very much you and me, the anxious, depressed children, you know, we need our Mick Foley's to yeah. be all weird and kooky and creative. So we uh, can Drama like, and yeah. drawn comics made me a, a, a much less depressed kid than I had any right to be, to exactly. be honest. So, yeah. And I think that's so cool that Ken Shamrock was able to identify that as like peak jock. Like, that, that, that to me yeah. is like, if, if you could teach that in schools, the idea that kids are different and will respond to different things different ways, like I think that would actually have like solved a lot of the bullying issues in my oh, school. Oh, 100%. Of just like, yes, okay, you get angry, you need sports, but these kids here, they get sad, they need art. So don't bully one into doing yeah, the other. They're yeah. not stupid for wanting exercise and they're not, you know, weak for wanting to paint things. Yeah, it's, it's this TED Talk, which I'm not sure if I could fully recommend you watch. All I'll say is it is both the most unexpected and expected thing at the same time. <laughs> That's really how I could best sum yeah. it up. I didn't think Ken Shamrock would be in there, but in the two seconds my mind had to process it and figure out what would probably happen if he was, it was like that, you know. Yeah. Uh, Ken thanks them for the opportunity around 36 times yeah. in his eight or so minutes. Oh, it's just... I, I would recommend watching it. Too. Yeah. If you are someone like me who wasn't sure what they thought about Ken... I know there were a few people who tweeted in saying, yeah, honestly, I never really got Ken. I don't see that's what the fair. big deal is. And yeah. it's totally fair. And that's what I was worried I was going to come out with this episode, having the same kind of attitude. And that TED talk really was like the final, is there a positive expression for nail in the coffin? <laughs> Whatever the positive expression for that is. It, it, that was like the final thing it was like, yes, I get it. I like this guy. Yeah. He's, yeah. He's clearly thought things through. He's... I think there's a lot of people who are kind of, were, were coming out and going, I'm not really sure what the big deal about this guy was because... You know, we've we've had to kind of maneuver the ship here. Kind of not a very long career in wrestling itself, but obviously a lot of very important things that happened in and out of wrestling, both before and afterwards, and stuff in parallel with it. So he hasn't got like the body of work really that some people like Taz maybe has, or you know, or a lot of the other wrestlers we've covered here. It's it's a narrower focus. So I think having found out some stuff like this, I was happy to find a greater sense of the man because yeah, he's not the most fucking complicated guy in the world, but there is more to Ken Shamrock than just the world's most dangerous man, you know? And I was very happy to find, you know, that little bit extra of Ken, that he wasn't just a mercenary out to make money in fake fights and, you know, fuck over people in wrestling and MMA, that there was yeah. this other side to him. And to me, that's what allowed me to go, oh, right, so that's what all of his, you know, all the kids who were big fans of Ken Shamrock back in the day, that's why. It's because they probably felt like he felt and he was able to turn it into this cool, badass character yeah. that's kind of like, look, you can have these 
scary feelings that you don't understand and they make you do things that you don't understand but that's okay they can tell you that this woman is your sister <laughs> but you know that she's not and you, you can do a big ruined snuck a really nice <laughs> oh, i was just doing a really nice little thing that the lesson we've learned yeah, don't, don't make out with your sister and uh, now that we've ruined the episode let's go to your tweets and your facebook posts back looking at some of the tweets and facebook messages you left us for good old ken shamrock the look of the irish is shining upon us in this episode as always joe people here coming at us on twitter make sure you follow at how to wrestling and if after this episode you want to continue the conversation don't forget you can just use the hashtag how to ken shamrock so what are we looking at here then well, we've got a few different tweets. A lot a lot of tweets mentioning about video games with regards to Ken Shamrock. Same on Facebook as Very well. Very interesting. It seems that a lot of people maybe weren't familiar with him when they watched wrestling, but he was a, a mainstay on the wrestling games they played. Yeah, I think we mentioned my brother holding out for his return because of No Mercy. Yeah. A lot of chat here about him being everyone's main on PlayStation 1's SmackDown. So yeah. So yeah, I've got a tweet here from Little Voices Ed from, of course, Sitcand, the podcast about Friends. Oh, you guessed it on an episode recently, I didn't you? I certainly did, You yes. got to watch Friends. That makes me feel good. I'm not just showing you terrible things in the world <laughs> from the 90s. Other people are doing it as well. So Eddie tweets, I missed his entire run when i was a kid although in the video games he was always an absolute bastard i've held a grudge against him for absolutely no reason <laughs> over the last 20 years simply because he was hard to beat in wwf smackdown i mean fair enough i mean we've talked about a lot of reasons why people have had issue with ken shamrock his very clumsy use of twitter his kind of uh, mercenary like reputation he had among certain uh, mma and ufc fans but yeah, he really... My brother hated Road Dog in that game for the same reason. So, you know, it, we, we've all got our grudges to bear, you know? <laughs> Kyrie Crawford here mentioning, Ken Shamrock getting a bloodbath from the brood and not letting go of the ankle lock, so we got treated to the sight of a wide-eyed Ken covered in blood, <laughs> screaming at the top of his lungs before rushing to save Stephanie McMahon is possibly the most harrowing Shamrock-related image out there. Until this artwork, that is. <laughs> and on the subject of the artwork, wondering how well the Attack on Titan theme music would work as his entrance. Oh. Ooh. Now, we talked with Dan, the illustrator, about mm. this. It wasn't as if he said, ooh, I'm going to go for Attack on Titan here. But, I mean, you and I are big fans of that of that mm. series. And... and Dan is a big anime nerd. So yeah, he, yeah. He, he has seen Attack on Titan. I don't know if it was an intention. I don't think Dan doesn't tend to work as an illustrator in the type of I'm going to reference this thing I've yeah. seen. It's more like he takes his inspiration from everywhere. So I wouldn't be surprised if there's a subconscious Attack on Titan thing. I know it's there. great. Like as, as long as as this series has went on and on, I feel like there's more and more like little kind of yeah. glimpses to little influences. And it's really funny seeing is like Dan is not a wrestling fan. He doesn't know much about all of the wrestlers we cover. Like Ken Shamrock, he he only knew, I mean, far less than I did going into our research. I was shocked at how perfectly he... Yeah. I was like, no, we didn't do that good a job of explaining him, did we? No, and like the metaphor then, like obviously at the end of this recording, I'm coming out thinking, yeah, of course, because 
like his representation of the artwork where he's got like no skin he's got no emotional skin ah. so he's just red raw rage all the time and what are the titans from attack on titan if not firmly in their zone thank you for the <laughs> message Kyrie. next from Anne plushy ken shamrock is someone who was maybe six or seven years too early i definitely could have seen him working well in ring of honor for example big issue similar to taz is that there are more interesting people nowadays who do that gimmick better yeah i think it's really interesting that shamrock we have you know mid to late 90s of doing all the stuff in wrestling where i mean you know if, if you look at the style of wrestling we've seen i mean we the, la- the only paper we watched around the time shamrock was cutting his teeth in japan there was a monster truck on in america so you know he was kind of before his time and then it kind of felt when his time could have been perfect you mentioned ring of honor the likes of daniel bryan and, and whatnot who were working a much you know samoa joe working yeah. a much more s- stiffer style he would have fit in there very well but the allure of the six figures you're going to be getting from fighting and losing to T.O.R.T.'s, I guess, in yeah. UFC, it just pulled... An, he's, he's like the anti-Brock Lesnar. I feel yeah. like he's in the wrong place at the wrong time, always. Yeah, negotiating downwards. <laughs> Next up from Daryl Edge. His old WF theme still slaps. Play it before any mundane task and you will feel like a killer. For instance, just this morning, I had it in my head and I was mere moments from putting my cereal in an ankle lock. <laughs> yeah, similarly, got a lot of that here on, on Facebook. Johnny Sanchez saying the dude's intensity made him a fan as a kid, but the theme was awesome because the bells in the background. Yeah, you like the bells, don't I? I mean, I love bells generally. There's something about like a bell that there's like... um. There's a grandeur to a bell, yeah. you know? It's kind of like a, a Western gong. <laughs> did you have in your school, when it was um, playtime, did you have the ringing of the bell? We had a teacher who had like the, the one oh, hand it was bell. A teacher. Ding, 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 yeah. In our school, it was, the, it was the student. Whoever was best behaved that day got to ring the bell. So we had a bell tower in my primary school. I do remember distinctly one time we were all like, let's go into the bell tower because maybe it'll be like Spider-Man and stop <laughs> Venom or something. It's, really went, it's just a boiler. Like, yeah. it was, it was a boiler. It's just a boiler. <laughs> That was housed in a former bell tower. <laughs> Sam Hayden here, lamenting the fact that this absolute badass left around 1999 and we never got any of the dream matches that we could have gotten with him. The likes of Kurt Angle, Chris Benoit, Dean Malenko, Eddie Guerrero. He never made it as a world champion WWE, but he made the mid-card so much more important that it propped up the main event scene and it was a lot more storyline driven. I think a name which only got mentioned very briefly here was that of Vince Russo. And mm. obviously it's not the best thing in the world where Ken spent most of 99 chasing after his sister if he could only get that kiss <laughs> <laughs> but to the point we mentioned in a Russo episode the fact that people in the middle of the card who weren't necessarily the world champion had stuff to do yeah I can't imagine Vince McMahon allowing a mid-level talent to have something as important to do like save his daughter now yeah honestly and it's not just like something so important which is obviously is that's important but it's like it's the thing I'm always saying about the context of the wider characters of the the universe that is the yeah. WWF. You see Ken interact with all these different types of characters. You see him with Gangrel, you see him with like Vince, and you see him with Stephanie and Boss Man and The Rock. Yeah, but I mean, now in 2020, you get to see Adam Pearce interact with like Vince McMahon. Adam Pearce interact with. <sighs> Roman Reigns. Some of the Pat Buck, I think, is one of the other suits that, that, that they're... 
and Huskus the pig, you know. <laughs> Adam Pierce. Did I mention him? Yeah, no, he's there as well, but he's on Raw and SmackDown as well, so he's yeah. kind of like, I like to think there's a Raw Adam Pierce and a yeah. SmackDown Adam Pierce. I you like know? That, yeah. You know, which one we're going to get today? <laughs> Another tweet here now from Rory Alexander M. My favorite moment of Ken's is when he turned up at Pride FC to announce he's going back to fighting and leaving wrestling behind and wants nothing to do with it, only to have his WWF theme play when he left the ring. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my god. A great one here from Rob Ferguson is uh, sending some information about the, the UFC and the MMA. We'll try and uh, include some extra kind of links to those podcasts and documentaries I mentioned in the, in the first part of the episode. While Ken here is well remembered for his time in wrestling, he's a legend in the world of MMA, particularly in the early Japanese scene, standing out amongst the legendary figures in both the worlds of wrestling and mixed martial arts. Also, if you want a good laugh, look at his rematch he had with Dan the Beast Severn at UFC 9. Their match at UFC 6 is considered to be great, but the afternoon of UFC 9, the stay of Michigan, where the fight was held, ruled that if any competitor hit each other with a closed fist, they would go to jail. So for nearly 30 minutes, Dan and Ken... Didn't punch each other in this match. Wow. That's right up Dan Severn's alley. I'm sure he'd be fine with that. Like, you know? <laughs> we have to cover his eyes, of course, at the end. Don't want any spoilers. <laughs> Next up from Mark Christopher. Ken Shamrock is an all-time favourite of mine. He was ahead of his time. He would have thrived in the current landscape of MMA crossovers and influence in wrestling. 1997 and 1999 Shamrock would be an absolute force in NXT today. Oh, man. I kind of... I feel like it's really strange to think of NXT and think of Ken Shamrock. I think, God, yeah. like a lot of the kind of the body shape yeah. and style. Like Roderick Strong. Yeah, I think you think of the UNSP there, just yeah. not in terms of necessarily just their physicality, but the use of, you know, strikes and, yes. you know, they're doing MMA stuff. You know, Kyle O'Reilly could stand across from Ken Shamrock with his floaty hands in the air. <laughs> you know, that's some deep MMA inside fear right there, folks. But yeah, I kind of. I'm sad always that WWE doesn't really want to go the route, and they've proven it time and time again with bringing back someone who's like a legend in inverted commas, but wasn't like a tip-top guy. Yeah, I think we saw it when like Jeff Jarrett was brought back a year or two ago, and you're just mm. left wondering like, who's this weird old man with a guitar? Yeah. Whereas like, I just don't think they could utilize someone like Ken Shamrock, bring him back. He's in his fifties, have him put over a few people. Yeah. I mean, Impact Wrestling will just do it instead, I guess. Yeah, <laughs> yeah no, genuinely, it's not. It's such a waste, isn't it? Because WWE loves to bring back these old fucking wrestlers from that era of wrestling yeah. and have them put on these low, long-winded matches in Saudi Arabia. Ken Shamrock would actually be a really exciting person to bring back because he's still fucking got it. Yeah, and I think it would be a genuine surprise for people. Yeah. And I think like when you are at the age that he is, everything that he does is a genuine surprise. Yes. Yeah. You know, I think he's got a lot going for him in the late career as a result of that. Absolutely. Like, I would love to see... Heel Triple H go up against face Ken Shamrock. Oh, no. <laughs> I just want to put Ken in matches against people I don't like. His grizzled old vets. <laughs> Beat them up for real. Yeah. Oh, man. I think maybe, because we, we mentioned, um, we were looking at Ken's Hall of Fame and induction in Impact Wrestling, and Bret Hart was one of the people who was brought on. He's like, always respect the fact that, you know, he was one of my guys, and... <laughs> I kind of feel like he would have broken someone's legs on the night of the yeah. screw job if I asked him to. You know? <laughs> I think he definitely would have <laughs> gone into the zone. I want an alternate universe where Ken is there and he defends Brett. And, and Triple H has just stood there with his hands yeah. and he's like, no. Nope. <laughs> he puts his hand in an ankle lock. <laughs> hand ankle like, lock. Yeah. <laughs> Next up from Brian Zane, a guy who could have 
been great in a main event capacity in his prime if the scene wasn't already packed by then. Really glad to see he's finally getting his due in Impact, though. P.S. Check out the triple threat cage match at Breakdown 98. Oh, that's a beautiful old match. That takes me back. That's uh, from 1998. Yeah, that's got Ken Shamrock, a young The Rock, and oh. Mankind as well. Oh, wow. It's beautiful. Um, I may have mentioned the McFoley episode, but... Or the Vince Russo episode. Probably was the Vince Russo episode, but great memory of Ken now that Brian brings up that that time frame was that he took on Mankind in a match and the idea was that Mankind would never give up and he'd never quit and he'd never tap out. I was actually so funny you say that because I was actually going to ask you if Mankind ever had a match with him. So what they did was Ken put him in the anchor lock right. and then Mankind put on the mandible claw on himself. Oh yeah, you're telling me yeah. about this. <laughs> And it's like, the winner, as a result of the Vandal Car, Mankind. And then Ken Chan was like, what the fuck? Get out of my way! Ah! Good times. Couple more tweets now. We have one here from the Pecoraro. In the former MMA guy wars, I was a Steve Blackman guy and my brother was a Shamrock guy. Ken still really scared me. His intensity always made the ankle lock look like he was going to rip his opponent's leg off and beat them to death with it. Yeah, I remember when Kurt Angle debuted the ankle lock after Ken Shamrock was gone. The, the disrespect was felt very hard in the Manhattan household, particularly <laughs> because Kurt would stand with it and we're like, that's ridiculous. It'll just be like less sore that way. Yeah. You know, I realise, <laughs> I, I know how much you like stories of me bullying my brother. <laughs> I realised I used to put my brother in the ankle lock all the time. Wow. So if I had known about Ken Shamrock... Well, did you wrap the legs around? Where is she? Yeah. Where is she? <laughs> I used to drag him across the room by You're his her, leg. Eh? <laughs> Finally now from OSUFan88. He was a bright flame in the WWF that burned out way too fast. Oh, the- that is a very good way of putting it. <laughs> One of the scariest and legitimately most frightening men in a WWF ring. He was so stiff that even Vader had a problem with him. And all that said, people loved him and he should have been in the WWF for a very long time. Unfortunately, even a guy as talented as Ken Shamrock cannot get away from bad booking decisions. And while he was white hot in his feud with The Rock, the decision to turn him heel killed his heat. One of my favourite wrestlers ever and criminally underrated. Yeah, I I think that kind of failure to capture lightning in a bottle, you know, the fact we go from that WrestleMania 14 where it's like the most fucking cool, unhinged, like God tier, angry man. You know, here's the argument for the inclusion of angry man protagonists. Yeah, absolutely, you've convinced me. There's there's a couple worth liking. Yeah, and, and, and he's right there. And then you kind of, within months, we decide, nah, he should be a corporate guy and like not feuding be the rock's friend as opposed to feuding with them but that's typical wrestling isn't it this always happens it's so rare yeah it's like honestly it's a needle in a haystack finding the wrestlers who are consistently well booked and it's it's always good to know that even when times are really good and they're firing on all cylinders they're still as capable of completely missing the ball on someone as when they're really struggling and need it i think ken People don't necessarily look back in, in kind of in anguish at his career and kind of go, oh God, what could have been? Just because there was so much talent in that era. In yeah. that era, and, and I guess as well the fact that he had a fantastically successful career in we had no we had no shortage of fun things to find, even though his time in wrestling was kind of short, mm. you know. And we you know, in MMA as well. That's it. He leaves one world and goes into another. He was still successful. It is an odd tale of success, and I don't think it's one that could ever be replicated. I don't see someone coming from a different world like Ken and then entering into this world in this way, you know? It's just very much a product of 
of the time. You know, it could never happen. It's lightning in a bottle, Ken Shamrock. And I don't think they really got the lid on the jar at the same time. <laughs> so, final thoughts on Ken Shamrock. I think he, looking back, might be one of the best rated wrestlers, <laughs> the highest average wrestler for match ratings on how to wrestling history possibly he's like 4.75 for oh here no one saw this coming no, no one no saw one. this coming i just hope that i hope that through this episode people who were kind of in the same position i was where they were like well yeah i don't really understand there, there, you know, there were a couple of tweets we got from people saying i genuinely don't see the appeal of ken shamrock he's a boring angry white man don't get it yeah <laughs> so i hope you know at the other end of this i'm able to help other people see what i'm seeing in him just think of him as this He's a little guilty dog. Guilty dog. Angry dog, I should say. He's a, he's a little angry dog. And he's, he's got his teeth on the toy and he's going, and that's the ankle lock. Joining the, uh, the the Hall of Fame of wrestlers we didn't reckon you'd have a good time with. This, yeah. is, uh, this is fabulous. And it really helped that he had that really adorable TED talk where he talks about making children do art and sports. Like that is honestly the most heartwarming thing I've thought to about me. that a lot. Him, so much. Him and his shark skin suit. Like... <laughs> Yeah, there's there's just some there's an intangible about him, you know. I think there's there's something about Ken Shamrock that will always be fascinating to me. And I thought that kind of having anytime it's a wrestler I've covered for the Ashtera podcast as well, I'm always kind of half in the mind of like, well, how much more is there to learn about this person? You know, I've experienced him so many times. I'll always be fascinated when I find yeah. out new things about him. It's yeah. just. Uh, yeah, the separating of fact from fiction with Ken is still something that. I don't think he's been very effectively done. I still think there's a lot of stuff about him out there that's either like total bullshit or stuff that seems like it's total bullshit and it's totally for real. That's the weird, in like that line between professional wrestling and MMA of like coming from one world where it's fake but not fake and the other world where it's real but fake. It's weird. It's it's almost as if being half in and half out and not being that professional like Jim Ross let him to be, it actually made him be one of the most like mystique-laden, kayfabe proper wrestlers (laughs) of all time. Joe, our next episode is going to be a very, very special one indeed. And it's one that I think we've had set aside in the back of our minds since we were doing pay-per-view classic and you asked for an all-women's show. Mm -hmm. And when you asked for an all-women's show, what won by... Uh, a bias scooch was All Japan Women's Destiny, where you got to set your eyes on some of the top wrestlers in Japan from 1995, all of which were women, and Minami Toyota, the flying angel, or the flying fairy as she's also known, the artist of the skies, this is someone who captivated us. What is it that you know about Manami Toyota and why, why have we gotten excited about her very suddenly? I mean, I don't know much about her other than that she has one of the most famous retirement matches slash moments of all time. Mm. Like, when I googled her, the first results were all to do with her retirement. Really? When she was in her 40s, I think. So, you know, that's quite unusual. I know we mentioned in previous episodes how, you know, obviously women wrestlers tend to retire slightly earlier than the men. But yeah. in Japan, that is especially true where in certain areas and certain promotions, you actually, you're supposed to retire when you're 28. So Kind of like forced retirement. Yeah. <laughs> so we have covered a little bit of the backdrop in the history of kind of women's wrestling or joshi in, in Japan. And we were really benefited greatly from a lot of help from our fans who were able to send in some research and some kind of reading that we're able to do. So we're, we're hoping to kind of expand and have a little bit of a chat. We talked about joshi and the kind of, 
the differences between the West and Japan when we did our Awesome Kong episode, but we're not dealing with someone who's an outsider. We're talking about someone who is considered to be not just the greatest Joshi of all time, but one of the greatest wrestlers. Yeah. Full stop of period all time, of all time. Anywhere on the world. Like Dave Meltzer considers her to be the, the best. Yeah. Which uh, is, is an interesting one to, to kind of delve into and, and how women's wrestling in Japan is very different. Well, I'm super excited because, yeah, I don't know much about her, but I have seen one match from that pay-per-view classic we did Ooh. and it was one of the best matches I've ever seen. <laughs> yeah. She's incredible. I think we were in tears yeah. when we were watching it. Like It was amazing. I don't know how I'm going to take notes for this episode because I think I'll just be glued to the screen, not wanting to even blink in case I miss something. Yeah, so it's going to be a really interesting one. We're going to use the hashtag HowToManamiToyota M-A-N-A-M-I-T-O-Y-O-T-A HowToManamiToyota Don't forget to use the hashtag we are after match recommendations, stories, a bit of the history. If you have expertise in this area or insight into it and you want to share with us, we're more than happy to, to, to open it up to our fans because we never want to kind of run away with something that, you know, that I don't have a big background in or we've not spent a lot of time in. I think Japanese women's wrestling in particular is probably one of the blind spots here and that's something that we've yeah. not covered a whole lot of so i'm really excited to kind of give a real kind of good groundwork guide for everyone how to understand and enjoy manami toyota i think that will be quite an easy sell for the audience for the most <laughs> parts and hey if you have not supported us on patreon.com slash how to wrestling yet you're missing out not only on nearly over 80 pay-per-view review episodes looking at everything from AEW, nxt and wwe all the way back to SummerSlam 2015 can you believe how long ago that was, <laughs> was so young <laughs> q a video episodes with joe and of course as well for all of our five dollar backers the series that we're most excited about on our patreon and the thing that's helping us through the pandemic and stay sane talking of course about pay-per-view classic joe you've had a good time looking back at some classic wrestling shows oh, i've had so much fun any standout ones so far for you my favorite so far is the one we did last month which was high drama oh yeah and i forget what name of the show was the survivor series yes 2002? 1998 1998 it was the it. deadly games tournament that's it deadly games <laughs> and i just loved it because there was loads of vince and yeah. i was like that's what i want more of i want more vince please yeah we, we learned a lot that joe is really enjoying vince mcmahon the, <sighs> the performer <laughs> <laughs> started with our 2002 Royal Rumble review which started off as a method for you to see Vincent Mann get the shit beaten out of him mm. but as the series and episodes have went on we have found out that you were just a big old fan yeah. of watching Vince McMahon being beat up or smiling or running away or skipping gaily away to Paris <laughs> and Briscoe or dancing with sexy ladies and mankind <laughs> we've also looked at some real stinkers like ECW December to December 2006 and the master of terrible picks Billy Keeble led us to the only pay-per-view oh. Headline by Vladimir Kozlov. It's great to have guests on. It's great to be looking back at some classic shows. All this and more, as well as everything else, like the big show, 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 available for as little as $5 a month on our patreon.com forward slash howtowrestling. Thank you, everyone, for supporting the show. And don't forget to tweet in or head over to Facebook to let us know your thoughts on Manami Toyota, the legend. We'll be covering her fabulous career and incredible matches in our next episode. Until then, it's a goodbye from me, Kevin. And a goodbye from me, Joe. Make sure you stay in your zone, and we'll see you next time on How To Wrestling. See ya!